Do, 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 do. We're live! <laughs> Welcome to the crazy gang of four guys hanging out, talking about probably wrestling and nothing to do with games for the next six hours. Yeah. No, let's do a proper intro because nobody will know who or what they're listening to right now. They are listening to BXB's Bits and Bobs, episode 17, Game of the Year Discussions, part two. If you haven't listened to part one, make sure you're Check out last week's show on YouTube and iTunes and everywhere else. And, well, you don't actually have to. It's not like they're connected too importantly, I suppose. But we talked about a bunch of categories on that. And we're going to talk about a bunch more categories on this one. So let's introduce the players in this gaggle of crazy guys today in our ethnically and sexually diverse group of four <laughs> white middle-aged men from Britain. So we have Richard Worrell, reviews editor. Hey. That's the fashion now, isn't it? Being white guys, so we're cool. Well, it's yeah. like we're the persecuted minority, aren't we? I thought that's the way it was going. No? Not not yet? Waiting, okay. We have Adam Breeden, PC Reviews Editor. Hello, everyone. Uh, we have Joel, Contributor Extraordinaire and Reviewer. Hello. And I am your host, Editor-in-Chief, Benjamin Hall. And now all of our lists are up on the website for our Games of the Year, and it's definitely well worth reading. Uh, Joel's, which... He didn't quite follow the brief because he's new. He decided to be negative about some things because that's what we want. Uh, <laughs> yeah, our friends, you know, who else didn't follow the brief? Well, we who didn't follow the brief? No, I never said top five. <laughs> I actually just said your top list. So I was always going to do ten. Oh, right. I see. Yeah, I didn't actually specify top five. You guys were just sort of assumed five. <laughs> I don't know why. But I thought I'm more important, so I should do more. I guess that's how I, I balanced that out in my head. I don't know. I did 10 because, in all honesty, I did 10 because there was just that many good games. I would have struggled to try and get it into five. Richard, if you have another five, you know, you wanted to sort of bolt on there, you go ahead, man. Oh, do, another, have another do a five. subsequent five. I, I don't mind. That's cool. over culling those five. And what, what was, go on then, tell me, what was what were on, on your bubble of that five? I don't even know. I can't remember. I know Uncharted was in there. Good. Well, uh, that only made number ten for me, actually. But we'll probably yeah. talk about all that when we get to the final category of today's show. Uh, Adam's, yes, we will definitely will. Adam, Adam, your list is up as well. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, yours is probably the most sort of different and. Yeah, I'd like to find out. Mine isn't yeah. the um, my top five games of the year. It's my top five games I reviewed this year. <laughs> oh, that's or, or where that you kind of. Right. Okay. So, were the games that you you didn't review that? you would have put on there well to be honest, there's probably games i didn't play that i'd put on there because jesus christ like i review a lot of um unusual oh, indie oh. games oh what was that <laughs> oh good oh, no, no. you love your games that you get from they're great games. i really like them i i was playing one you sent me today this afternoon and that's a fine piece of work um <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah, i again i thought it looked pretty cool man really it's cool did. it's fine it's right. okay okay cool well yeah we're all back in you know i was i'm reviewing my first game uh, of the year so far as well i know joel's on his and adam's on his we've we've left out richard because um yeah because it's richard um so <laughs> no because Actually, in all honesty, I'm, I'm hoping to give Richard a game he's requested quite excitedly later on this month. So fingers crossed. I'm leaving his slate clear for that in the, you know, the hopes that it will show up. And I don't want to spoil what that is. So You mean it's not just because we're saving him for all the Lego games this year? Because, you know, <laughs> he's the expert. I'm, I, well, if he wants them, he can have them. What Lego <laughs> games can we expect this year? I, I'm trying to think what, what Lego tie-in films they, they can do. Um, <laughs> You've got to think of all the comic book characters they've not done yet, right? 
<clears throat> so you Lego get excited, Lego Justice League? For the Switch. There's one yeah, for Switch. Yeah, Lego Undercover. Yeah. yeah. Well, there you go. Look, before we get into the game of years, you've kind of given me a little, a little entryway there, a little segue. Let's talk about a couple of big news points. Yes, you have. You've ruined it now that you drew attention to it. But you know that's that's. <laughs> um, let's talk about right. Well, we just had uh, a presentation from Nintendo a couple of days ago, uh, unveiling more details about the Nintendo Switch. The the key point being March the third, for two hundred and eighty pounds in the UK, three hundred dollars US, uh, with just five games at launch: Zelda, One Through Switch, Super Bomberman, Just Dance, and Skylanders. Um, holy, I, I, we were all really hyped for this, weren't we? Mm. Like, I, I'm not referring to you, Joel, because you weren't here for the podcast, but when, when we yeah. talked about Nintendo Switch when it first got announced, we were pumped. We were like, this looks like this could be the game that's going to, the console from Nintendo is going to get me back into it for Nintendo. I was talking about it and reminiscing about the snares and how I've not been this excited since I was a little kid for it. And then this happened and I'm, I'm kind of bummed out now. I'm, I'm um, glad it's not just me who had that experience because... As soon as I saw that list of launch titles, and I've got lots of things to say about launch titles in general, because honestly, mm. people put so much credence on it, and it's never mattered. Go and look at the Xbox 360 launch day list. It was shite. Um, yeah. But yeah. when you see that list of titles, what you do sort of go is, oh, yeah, it's a Nintendo platform, in it? Oh. <laughs> that's a yeah, shame. that's it. That's it. That's exactly like it. Just, yeah. You just realize you're back in the same as you ever were. You know, If you don't like Zelda, you've got nothing to play on this on day yeah. one. Like, it's just bad. That was for me. It was like I, I can look at Zelda and I can look at Mario, which isn't coming out to the end of the year anyway. And I can look at those games and go, yes, they look like very good versions of those franchises, right? Hands, <laughs> hands up, they do really look very good. However, I have no nostalgic connection to either of them. I, I have never been a big Mario platformer, and I've never, I bet, I don't think I've even really played a Zelda game. Like I've, I've dabbled in a few of them, but never put more than like ten hours in. So I, I just don't feel a connection. I'm looking at that Zelda going. Yeah, that looks mighty empty for an open world, and I'm, you know, I won't be able to customize my character. And damn, those character designs are stupid looking. I mean, it's just, I just feel, ah, oh, man, I wanted to really get excited about this, like really, really wanted to. And then two hundred and eighty pounds, and I'm, ah, uh, I don't know. That seems like a lot of money for that as well. The night before, my wife goes, "How much do you think it will be?" And I went two fifty, at the most, and and then they come out at two eighty, and I'm just like, wow. Uh, 40 quid by the way 40 quid for one two switch the mini game collection yeah, not even bundled with it yeah. 40 quid that's I insane think that's on, the, on the price front i think it's going to suffer from the fact that the you know if this is announced six months ago it probably would have been 250 quid just the way the pound's gone to pot yeah. against the dollar and the euro really i think so i think nintendo sadly have um you know, taking a bit of a kick from that in uh, their timing at the price and stuff, but there's nothing they can really do about it. That's my guess on the price anyway. I think it it's would have been slightly fault. better. Once yeah. it's fault, you're going to yeah. fit in your job. <laughs> no, no, you're not wrong. I mean, you're not wrong. It's it's like $300, it would equate to 280 now, and that's that's just the way it is right now, but it doesn't make it, I don't think, any easier to swallow. Um, you know, I'm the really fact that... by people bummed out about the price honestly because there were rumors that it was going to be 250 and people were like no way that's too cheap so what's yeah it's not that big a difference is it no 280 seems like the sweet spot to me and i i, I fully expected it to be 280 especially <coughs> with the problems with the pound but that doesn't sound too bad the issue is the add-ons particularly yeah. the the lack of any inclusion of a, a pack-in game 
because one two switch really is the equivalent of Wii Sports. The fact that they haven't bundled that is insane. Um, the fact that it looks like a quite appealing game, but you're gonna have to pay 40 quid for it, just sours the taste of what should be an interesting experience that sells the console. Um, you see, from that one game, you've got Bomberman, which will be fine, but really shouldn't be a 50 quid launch game in this decade. Uh, Just Dance, who cares? Skylanders, who cares? Zelda will be good, I'm sure. I'm still excited for it. But the fact is, it's coming out on the Wii U on the same day. Mm. So people who care about that have no reason to buy a, a Nintendo Switch right now. Yeah, and I think the other thing we're talking about values and stuff is how cheaply you can buy a Xbox One and a PS4 right now. Um, and you compare this to the 280 they're asking for this console and you know, you're comparing the horsepower and the fact that the Switch isn't actually even coming anywhere close to, say, an Xbox One, which is going to have a brand new version later on this year, which is going to be the most powerful console. Uh, and, and you're kind of like, well, yeah, Nintendo is always the second console, I guess. It's either you're a PC gamer and you fancy something different, you pick up the Switch, or you've already got the Xbox One or PS4, and you're like, oh, you know what, I, I, I like this nostalgia for Nintendo, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check this out. But there's other problems that aren't there. So we've got ridiculously short battery life on the device when it's taken away from the television we're talking like two i think i saw 2.5 to six hours were their estimates yeah. which seems yeah. really really low to me call me crazy but is that, that what do you guys well think? What do you guys that think? depends on the game but if you play a game on your iphone you play if you play a really top end graphical game on your iphone it will run your battery flat in two hours it's yeah, kind of half of the course really to be fair. if you play a more simpler game you get a bit more time but that is kind of why people don't play top-end games on their iPhone, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So what about, what about like, you know, the fact that we knew this was coming, right? The tiny internal storage, 32 gigabyte. Yeah. Now, I'm a guy that wants to go digital only, basically. And I think in 2017, that shouldn't be a problem. You should be able to do that with your consoles. Uh, and the fact that, you know, they've said, I think uh, Zelda's like 13 gig. So you're looking at a product that's going to fill up a large portion. Just one game will fill up a large portion of that internal storage straight away. And then I've been people, oh, but you can get a 256 gigabyte micro SD card. I'm like, great, but why the fuck should you immediately go have to go out and purchase that? Why hasn't this got that immediately as internal storage? Um, it, it just seems like Nintendo doing their typical I can tell you half ass. 256 gig cards cost about 150 quid. So that's, oh, yeah. that's the explanation. But that's a lot of money to pass on to a consumer who may want to buy digitally, as I do. My 3DS games are all digital. Um, I suppose the proof will be in the pudding, and we'll see how big games actually are on this, because it's not much uh, more um, powerful than a Wii U. No. Games may be fairly small. I mean, in th 360 era games all fit into five or six gig, don't they? Um, uh, yeah. Maybe sort of an outlier here and the game's yeah, a lot I know Richard you've got one pre-ordered or your wife has one pre-ordered for you I know that's happening I saw that on Facebook mm. I, I pre-ordered one because I might flip it on eBay for free times the price Ooh. in all honesty <laughs> I, I could be one of those guys yeah. I could be one of those guys I pre-ordered on Amazon the grey console which sold out within two hours um, sold out of their allocations so it, clearly that the, the one without the, the red and blue controllers is going to be a premium I, I don't know why I actually think the grey one looks a bit dull compared to the red and blue one but that was the one i hit buy on I, I don't know i mean i can afford it but at the same time i'm gonna ha i'm gonna be sat there with zelda and i'm gonna play three hours of zelda and then it's gonna sit there until the end of the year and not get used and it's <laughs> like gonna get Mario Kart in april 
I mean, for people who don't own a Wii U, there is some good stuff coming. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I mean, I don't know where you, you're correct, I never have, but uh, Mario Kart, yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe. I mean, um, yeah, those controllers and the United Tech accessory prices, I'm just a bit deflated about it. We're going to see, we've got some time to think, and we'll talk about this more on subsequent shows, because this is going to be the Game of the Year ones, uh, but we'll definitely come back to this. But before we, unless you guys want to add anything else quickly now, I'm going to move us on. Um, some other, yeah, really, yeah, but news that really shocked me and surprised me earlier this week. Um, I actually found out this before it went, uh, wide because I have a friend who works at Gorilla in Cambridge and um, he updated his Facebook that he was suddenly looking for work and I was like what the fuck's going on what the fuck's going on and um, yeah out of nowhere the way he described it it was like the higher-ups came in at half past ten they briefed the, you know the bosses of the studio at, at quarter to eleven and by eleven o'clock they were all out of work and, and there was no warning and, and that's and, and you know we talk about studio closures fairly often on this show when they come up but it's never been that close to me before, and and it, and it really, I was really bummed out for the guy, and we subsequently had a chat and and face to face about it all, and, and you know I, you know he'll be all right. You know Frontier is another Cambridge studio who's doing a jobs fair, hoping to pick up some of the guys. But yeah, basically Sony have closed uh, Gorilla Cambridge, formerly um, Sony UK studio, and before that, I believe they were called Millennium. They made games like Medieval, they made Killzone Mercenaries, and just recently put out. Uh, James Pond, yeah, and just recently put out uh, Rigs, which was kind of the, the big AAA PSVR title that Sony pushed earlier in the year. And I can't go into details, but he's told me a lot about the, the post-release support that was coming, and it's all gone. Like, there will be none. That game is now dead. There will be no more support for that title. Um, so I, I just can't believe Sony did that. Like, you know, it's a real shock, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I was hoping for it to be Pat so I didn't get sick again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm yeah, still it's, it's, yeah, go on. It's, it's, yeah, it's horrible news, isn't it? But I mean, it just seems to be part and parcel of the industry, really, doesn't it? You can, you know, these studios seem to be going quite happily, and then just one day, like the, you know, particularly ones that are owned um, by the large corporations and things like that, they do just get cut off like that. So. Yeah, it's really. I, I always feel sorry for the people. Really, that's the sad part about it, and especially when it just comes out of the blue like that. But mm. well, they arguably made the yeah, best. A lot of British studios are going. Yes. I don't know if that's just because where we are and we see it more, but it does seem to be a lot. Now, of British the, I mean, the British industry is in absolute crisis. Like no one's talking about it, but yeah, it's a disaster. Like, <laughs> um, there's various things I could tell you about. Um, about three or four years ago, we started to lose all of our talented staff to Canada. Actually, more than that, uh, probably about seven or eight years ago. In Canada, there was a genuine like government drive to increase the size of the games industry. They wanted to become a sort of you know country associated with the video game industry, and it definitely worked. And one of the schemes they put in place is if you recruited from overseas to get expert level kind of video game developers, the government paid their first year's wages. Like it was that level of government subsidy, and I saw large numbers of people leaving the UK industry and going to work in Canada and that left the people who weren't good enough to go to Canada and the people who Canada didn't want, the idiots at the top of the system and took all the talented middle out of the industry. Um, this put the industry in the UK into something of a spiral. There were various meetings with government officials when the Conservative Party were running their campaign, the one that led to them forming the coalition government, I can't remember the year now, can't be bothered to work it out. There was a lot of pressure put on them to 
pledge for some sort of tax breaks or some sort of government subsidies for the UK games industry because it's such a successful exporter. I mean, consider how many copies of GTA sell in America, for example, or anywhere around the world. Um, it was pledged that they would do, and then they go into power, and oh dear, they forgot to do it. And the industry's been just hemorrhaging money and jobs ever since. It's a nightmare. The UK games industry right now it is an absolute nightmare and it's annoying because you'll hear reports and you'll hear things on the radio and you'll hear things on the news that will say the UK industry is growing like never before because there are 700 developers in the country now and there used to only be 400 and what no one mentions is there used to be like 20 really big developers and a few little ones and now there's about five really big developers and about 50 little ones because what happens is a big company goes under shuts down various groups from that company go and form little mobile phone studios with five or six people in them and so if you just count the number of developers in the country like the number of studios it looks like the industry's growing but it's not it's been chopped down into tinier and tinier bits and just spreading thinner and thinner yeah, and it and it's yeah, it's always sad when you see a big one like Gorilla Go. Yeah. You know, twenty years of history. Um, like you said, you know, Richard, you're referring to obviously the closure of Lionhead uh, last year, um, and uh, you know other big developers that have gone um, the way of the Dodo recently Sony, in the UK Sony and stuff. Liverpool. Sony, Sony Liverpool was a recently cl recent closed. I believe that means there's no Sony studio in the UK anymore. Um, yeah, the I mean, what they've said is they're restructuring their European developer operations, but it seems to only be the UK ones. Yeah. By restructuring, you mean firing people. I love that. I love that. Yeah. It's great. But yeah, Joel, you brought up a good point. It is it is part of and part and parcel of the cutthroat nature of the business, which is publisher led, which means they have far too much control over the sort of, you know, the stability and the employment of people at developer level, um, especially when you're dealing with first parties like Gorilla, you know, who are who are deeply embedded within Sony infrastructure. Um, but yeah, good luck to all of those guys. I hope they find work. I know there are a talented bunch of dudes well, there. So I'll just add a final point. Hopefully, um, as you say, a lot of the, 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 the smarter, talented guys, maybe they will go and set up some smaller studios. Uh, and with stuff like crowdfunding these days, maybe some of them will make a good break and, and get to do actually something that will overall turn better for them and for us to play some, <laughs> some new and original ideas, maybe. So hopefully. Uh, well, yeah, well, a couple I, of years I, down the line, there might be a positive side at least just, to this. Just, but... just to counter your crowdfunding comment, <laughs> I actually brought Kickstarter up to my friend and he shook his head and went, that bubble is so burst right now. That Ooh, shit is dead. dead. There is no trust in game Kickstarters anymore at all. They're making, they're not making their yeah. targets. They're we actually, every time. So. We forgot to mention it in Biggest Disappointment, but I think, uh, what was it called, Mighty Number no. 9? I think that sort of killed Kickstarter forever now. Um, the, the games, Mega Man yeah, the games, yeah. yeah. Like that—that was, that was the final straw, I think. No one trusts him anymore. No, so, so that's it's already done, Joel. Can you believe it? I mean, you probably uh, only just realised. I only just sort of started I, thinking about Kickstarter. I've only, I've, only, I've only crowdfunded one thing, and I'm still waiting for it. But that was ukulele, and it, it's going to come out um, April the 11th. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, as long as it does actually arrive, it looks like it will. Uh, right yeah. Let's hard pivot off this slightly yeah. negative start to the show and let's get back on to game of the year discussions for 2016. Get your get your brains working, get your memory fired up because we're you know the longer we go into 2017, the harder it is to remember some of these games. But we are gonna straight in best visuals of 2016. Our shortlist is Forza Horizon 3, Battlefield 1, Uncharted 4, Doom, and Robinson the Journey. Who wants to kick us off? Let's kick off with the Dark Horse. Let's kick off with Richard and Robinson the journey. 
Robinson. I'm... Well, that's it. Robinson the journey can now be discounted due to that incomplete <laughs> lack of enthusiasm for that title. So we'll just strike that from the list immediately. Now, have you have you got anything, Rich? <laughs> I'm just looking at the rest of the list and thinking, does that really look better? And it does, but in its own way. I mean, it's very difficult to say Forza Horizon 3 doesn't look as good as a game that is viewed in a completely different medium. Yeah. That's mental. But as far as VR games go, Robinson is the cream of the crop. There is nothing well, that looks as good as that. It's an interesting thing, what you just said about the visuals. and like, uh, Best visuals, it's tricky, isn't it? It's like, are we talking about high-res textures or are we talking about something like Google Earth in VR? Because you could argue... Because you could argue that the, the the experience of that visual interaction with being able to walk down that street you grew up in or get on the top of the Empire State Building or go visit, you know, the Grand Canyon, that experience, that is a visual experience. We, none of us have played it, but you could argue that was the best one, couldn't you? I mean, it's coming at it from a different point of view, but I mean, you see what I'm saying? So, If you're a bystander looking at Robinson on the TV, it's nothing to speak of, really. It's just another game that's got dinosaurs in it, and it looks all right. But in VR, it's the most immersive experience in that technology that I've experienced so far. Just the sense of scale, how um, everything feels alive. Mm. There's nothing else like it. And it just it deserves a shout in this category, even if, well, you guys haven't played it. So it's really hard for me to explain. <laughs> yeah. Feel. Um, it's also harder because you're you're not just saying you're not just telling us about a game we haven't played you're telling us yeah. about a game in a medium we haven't really yeah. experienced in the same way you have and and that's almost why next year i suspect we might have a best vr category um if vr is still a going concern next year anyway we'll see what happens um but you know it, I, it's difficult to even count it because you, you can't even consider it in the same way so vr works for and against it in that regard um I'm going to move on to one. I'm going to. I'm just going to say, Doom. I think visually uh, works incredibly well as a cohesive whole. I don't think it's the most impressive game on this list. Um, so I just wanted to chuck it out there. I know Richard, you've played a fair bit of it as well, and you could probably see why I've put it there. Um, mostly because uh, I was going to fact... disagree with you, Ben. Actually, cause okay, because yeah. for me, what it is is it's it's 60 frames per second, and it looks great yeah. doing it. So okay. it's kind of that's. You know, well, that's, that's why, why I, put I was going to disagree with you because it puts performance over visual splendor. It definitely okay. does that, and it, it kind of looks a little bit—I um, don't know—gauzy, like like um, low res, not quite defined as as defined as I'd want it to be. But it's it's a trade-off for amazing performance. It's 60 frames. It doesn't dip. It does everything that it needs to do to make mm. its gameplay work smoothly, quickly, and it never drops a frame i think people uh, people sometimes forget don't they that that's always been its focus hasn't it because yeah. you, you if you remember rage on consoles um it, it lo was locked at 60 it played amazing but you there would be times when you would turn around at the and look at the mega texture as they like to call mm. it and it would load in as you looked at it like you know really bad texture popping would occur but it would still play amazing it would always be silky smooth and that was a game that was pushing pc hardware and yet they got a 60 frame per second version of that game onto the xbox 360. Hmm. so it's like it's quite impressive that they always focus on performance over the visual <coughs> but yeah it's it's almost like best technical achievement would almost be something you'd want to give doom you know put doom in that category but we haven't got that category this year so this is where i put it so you see what i'm saying 
but yeah, I understand. We we can now we can talk about the big three because the big three I I, I think are quite far ahead of everybody else on this category. Um, who who else has experienced Battlefield One? I know Joel, you have. Is there a difference between uh, the multiplayer and single player? Because I only played the beta. And while that's uh, yes. fantastic, I, I imagine that there's more going on in this single player that would look even great, even, even greater than that does. Yeah, Joel, you've done all the single player, yeah? Yeah, so uh, some of the single player takes place on some of the multiplayer maps uh, and other bits of it don't. So there is some bits that are very specific to the single player. Um, mm. Yeah, I thought it, uh, it, looks, it looks really good. I've got it on the Xbox One. I've been playing it on that. Um, on, an, on another note, though, obviously, I've, I've been out to the Somme. I've seen the real Somme. I've seen some of the trenches and some of the stuff that's out there. And I, I think they also did a really visually good job of capturing like the, the, the environment, the architecture of the, some of the areas, um, the, the feeling of the Somme, just like the muddy wasteland and stuff. So visually, I thought it was, you know, that was another really impressive aspect to it, not just the fact that it looks... And it plays really well as well as uh, being a really good looker as well. So... Uh, you know, that's why I, I, you know, for me, that was a very strong contender. I mean, it's one of those gaming experiences where I believe it's the first mission uh, in the flying, uh, flying aces mini campaign where you're like running a training mission up over the one part of the Alps. Yeah. Um, and you, and I, I honestly, I was like this, I could be there. I, I was so impressed by the, the visual fidelity, the way, you know, the clouds look, the skybox, the, the textures for the ground, the mountains, the sense of scale, the sense of place. That engine, uh, the DICE engine, the Frostbite engine, is just incredible to look at. Um, it, it's got the just the most stunning vistas. Um, absolutely mind-blowing, you know, and the, and the textures as well. Character models aren't, I don't think, as, as crisp as the rest of it, but man it's just whew, when you know when you you know when you see one of those games you're like i need to tell people how beautiful that is i like stopped and took a moment just to look around uh which doesn't happen that often when you're, when you're trying to bang through a game for review uh like i was with battlefield so yeah that one really blew me away with this i would i would love to see it at 4k on a pc a really top end pc just to see how it really can look um so well, that's the other thing with like so we were talking about Doom. You know, we 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 aren't playing it on Ultra on our consoles. Sadly, uh, you know, yeah. we would all love a high-end gaming rig, wouldn't we? But I, I yeah. certainly don't have one at the moment, so we can only judge based on the consoles we're playing on, which are probably somewhere in the middle of, of you know the this sort of graphical quality we can get. So in a way, we're probably doing this all an unjust sort of you know look at these games. But let's talk about two games then. Two we haven't talked about. Uh, oh, you know, I forgot actually, Forza is on PC, isn't it? Uh, so we can talk about one game, one game here, which is a strong contender for the best looks, and that isn't on PC, and that is Uncharted 4. Now, Richard, you've played that a lot, haven't you? As well, as me. Yeah. yeah, same. You got anything you wanted to say about how that game looks on, on PS4? It looks amazing, but do you find your bar has been set a bit too high as far as uncharted goes and you think well yeah that's uncharted that looks amazing good that's what they're supposed to do and it doesn't really impress you anymore that's kind there, of the fitted in for me this year with i think there is a distinct couple of distinct moments in uncharted um specifically later on for me where you're on the island but we'll talk about it um spoilerifically 
you know, when we talk about probably game of the year or story, we'll definitely get into it. Um, but you know, the bit on the island where you're in the Jeep and you come up, you crest a waterfall or a hill and you see that, that the environment in front of you in the Vista, and then you realize you can actually drive through that. You're dry. You're going to go through that environment. It's not just, you know, set dressing It is interactive. And I, now that game, the, the things like the water in those games, the mud effects that we get a lot of in Uncharted 4, I do think they have really done the best work ever when it comes to the, the visuals in the Uncharted series. I know what you're saying, because we are we are used to the spectacle of the Uncharted games, but they're, they're genuinely, they're, they're, this one on PS4 is the best it has ever been by quite some time. But then the other aspect of the visuals that you should take into account with Uncharted 4 is how damn good the digital acting is you know yes. the the face capture the performance capture in those games which i think is also a very important important part of the visual presentation of the uncharted series uh and then nothing comes close like nothing right. and it's even talking about its spectacle that's not always the most impressive thing for me the thing that struck me most playing uncharted 4 was just the solitary environments not doing anything in them particularly, but just being there, particularly that um, sort of pirate town that you chance upon that's full of mm. uh, skeletons and half-empty flagons of ale um, and crumbling uh, wooden buildings. Yeah. It looks amazing. And that bit where you're sat with your brother and yeah. you're, you're doing having a mock drink at the, the broken-down bar, just having a chat, yeah. catching up, really bonding. It's a quiet moment. It's... It's an amazing story beat, and you can you can choose to continue the conversation or get up at any time. And I obviously stuck stuck it out because I just was just like just letting you sit there, drink it in, look at those amazing god rays, look at the the lush vegetation, look around at this amazing environment that they've they've completely created from scratch with the detail that are in those environments. The other nice moments is just early on in the game when you're Nathan at home, you know, where you've tried to live a normal life at the beginning of the game. And it's just the detail that has gone into every room of that house to make it feel lived in, to make it feel real, to ground you, and but also to tell little story beats and connect you to that universe. And there's a sense of sort of longing and ennui to that part of the game as well, all conveyed visually. You know, that's what it is. The same, the same with the ending, without spoiling the, the epilogue. what happens. But, well, we yeah. will spoil it, but yeah, I mean, you can if you the, want. The, I mean. There is so much detail in that ending um, mm -hmm. with characters and character models that you don't see anywhere else. So for them mm -hmm. to invest that much in something that probably a, a decent percentage of players will never see that. There is so mm -hmm. much work gone into that. It's incredible. So that we're talking about right now, we're talking about the micro-fidelity of, of the visual presentation and the environments created on Chai. Let's talk about a more macro level world that's created that is australia in forza horizon 3 i have never had so much fun bombing around an environment like i have in that game that that you just just shooting around in all kinds of massive selection of beautiful looking vehicles and cars and all kinds of things doing these crazy outlandish races across desert jungle down by the sea around cliffs you know you name it and then of course with the dlc up snowy mountains and you know, it's all in there, and then and it looks amazing. You can't fault the visuals in that game at any point at all, I don't think. I mean, it, it's a very different um, thing they're trying to achieve with the visuals in that game, obviously, to Uncharted, but I think it's just as impressive. Then, of course, we've got the weather effects that have now playing a part in the Forza games like they never have before with blizzards and torrential rain, you know, that all affect, you know, your visibility. Uh, obviously, the, you know, 
affects how the car handles as well and stuff like that. But that's not the visuals. But I mean, that game, Richard, you can attest to how stunning that game is as well. Yeah, I think when we first talked about it, we talked about it being uh, sort of next level. There's a step change in console performance that you reach after a couple of years into the cycle. And Forza Horizon 3 is where we hit that mark on the mm. Xbox One, I think. Um, just noticeably better than anything we've seen before and still impressive now every time I load it up. Uh, Joel, Adam, you, I know you've both been quiet, but Adam, you can you can look at some of these things. Um, you can watch video. You can use your indeed, eyes. I have been so, I have been looking at them as people talk about them. Yeah, I want to advocate. I want to advocate for Forza Horizon Three just because video games have been chasing the kind of photorealistic idea and just making things look like the real world for a very long time. Forza Horizon does something a little more. It, it looks real. It looks like the real world. But it looks like the real world as seen through a cinema lens. You know, there has been, there's like color matching going on here. There's some artistic direction. There is a stylized look to the game without compromising that reality that the other games don't necessarily have so much. I think there's genuine like artistry in the visuals of uh, Forza Horizon that mm. I don't see so much in Battlefield. And Uncharted 4, I mean, they're in that kind mm. of action filmy sort of mold, but. I mean, realistically, it probably should be Uncharted 4, but the, the visuals of Forza Horizon just appeal to me more. Like, I just think that's what I want. That's the kind of beautiful escapism. Mm. There's just something really tangible about Forza Horizon 3 that I really enjoy, just looking at images from it. Yeah, it's, it's inviting. Like, it's like Blue yeah. Sky Sega, isn't it? It's yeah, exactly. It's, you know, even the rainy shots somehow are beautifully lit. It looks like a bright day somehow, but it doesn't look unreal. It just, it's just really nicely done. In in the DLC, the the use of blizzards and snow to um, to affect visibility, you know, you go you you'll be doing something and it will become a whiteout, you know, in this dynamic weather effect where you see the weather roll in and it starts to snow a bit and then it gets worse and progressively worse, or maybe other other things like the lighting effects of white when you'll be racing. Um, say you'll start at dawn but then the sun will come up and affect you know oh, yeah, healthy, yeah. and it will shine off of the puddles in the wet road and and glint at you and and it's just so like you said so it's so real but yet so inviting and, and, and that cinema oh it's yeah it's oh <laughs> you don't expect it from a racing game do you Especially no, after no. You've, had it, you've played it for a, a couple of weeks or months to be visually surprised by it still yeah uh, quite an achievement it is tricky because i think you know technically it's it's uncharted isn't it yeah um but but viscerally forza puts up a real good fight um so i'm not sure what the other thing i've got is that i kind of know that like you know racing games have always had kind of the cutting edge leading sort of front of the graphics revolution and it's because the characters in a racing game don't have to animate like you're essentially just sliding a box around and uncharted has incredible facial animations incredibly detailed uh, mocap work and there's clearly more work on the screen when you look at a really impressive moment from uncharted 4 so mm. it is really just i'm kind of making a okay let me a let personal me aesthetic preference let me talk a bit about that let me talk about the scene that makes me think of that when you talk about uh micro uh, emotions and expressions being shown on the face. Um, the scene is, and, and I'm sure Richard will remember, the first time you go on a mission with Elena after you've betrayed her. Uh, and the way in which there are moments where you will just be, you'll be trying to have, like find this relationship you might have irreparably broken. And she will be conveying, and you can see it on her face, 
you you can see the feelings she's keeping just under the surface and it's unreal it's like you're it's like you're watching uh, jennifer lawrence give a performance you know in in a film and yet yeah, this is a cgi well, character it sorry felt like it was in drake as well the way he oh god yeah no 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 absolutely oh no absolutely you know absolutely he's he's like yeah absolutely when he's when he's on the boat with his brother going to the island um he's like a broken man and it is from the voice performance obviously but it's also it's all there in in the body the way he's holding the waist you know the looks on his face the eyes the eyes are um you know we're, we're so almost through that uncanny valley at this point uh and the fact that this is a video game and not a cgi animated um television show or something like that and it isn't just in the cutscenes either it will be in just the moment to moment gameplay um it, it's absolutely astonishing so richard which would you pick <laughs> put you on the spot oh it's tough it's really hard this one isn't it i'll go to joel quickly because he doesn't seem to have a horse in this race but <laughs> do you have a do you have an outside perspective on these two that seems to be the yeah, well I, I think you've touched on most of the points i would have said like uh it, when you take a racing game it's all about the lighting engine and the kind of stuff around that and the weather effects all you know that stuff but then you know with uncharted uh, or a game similar to uncharted you've got like you say the animation the motion capture the faces the characters so there are two games that do two kind of very different things very well it, you know I, I haven't played either um so i, I it's hard to say i i you know i can't really put my foot down and say that one over that one i think they're okay. probably two games at the top of what they're doing really aren't they let me let me i'm going to give my final thoughts then and then uh, basically um i think you expect a level of fidelity and beauty from a driving game you that but you are more surprised by the technical proficiency and the amazing performance of, of uncharted and therefore for me i would pick uncharted but it's by that much yeah, I think in terms of the achievement, because there is probably more work that goes into Uncharted that has to edge it, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah. yeah, that's fair. Adam? I mean, just the most believable human beings I've ever seen in a video game. So, you know, you've kind of got to give it to them. Like, yeah. Yeah. Are, we all, are you happy as well, Joel? Yeah, yeah, I'm happy with that. Yeah. I think, I think, it, I think it has to be. So, yeah, the best visuals of 2016 goes to Uncharted 4. I think that's a fair win. So we're moving on to best story, narrative, thing. Let's go with story. So best story um, conveyed in a video game in 2016. So these are the the nominees. The shortlist is Mafia 3, Inside, Firewatch, Oxenfree. I didn't put this on the list, but Gone Home was added by, uh, I'm not sure who added it, but somebody added it who had never played it on PC. Uh, and they therefore only experienced it on console. And that obviously came to Xbox in 2016. If you guys don't think it should be on the list, I'm happy to strike it. Because um, it was my game of the year like three years ago, four years ago. So, um, it I is a problematic one. Because when I looked down the list of the category, I was still thinking, you know, this is something I care about quite a lot, narrative in games. And I think about it quite deeply. So which of these would I put? Like, which what would I give the award to? And to be honest, once Gone Home's allowed in there, I don't think there's anything been released this year that comes close to gone home narratively. So if it's allowed into the category, it probably has to be my pick. But it was an old game, like I played yeah, four years ago. So is it cheating to I, put I, it I, just because it's had a console release? I just I think, think because I've talked... Yeah. If we were playing by those rules, I might have put Dear Esther on the list. 
Well, remember yeah. when we were talking about last week how we struck res from music and stuff like that, didn't we? Because yeah, because yeah. it was an old game. So I think I think we have to strike Gone Home. But props to Gone Home, best game of like four years ago for me by yeah. far. So, um, but you know, strike that though. Uh, carrying down the list quickly: Quantum Break, uh, Call of Duty Infinite Warfare, and Uncharted Four. Uh, okay, well, let's let's go from the top to the bottom of our list then, uh, in no particular order. Uh, Mafia 3, I think, <sighs> none of you guys played Mafia 3, and I don't expect this to get any really that much talked about it, but it has got such an amazing framing device. Um, it's got one of the best opening missions in the game that does this thing with um, different time periods. Um, the framing device that basically interviews and uh, Senate hearings at some point in the future, looking back at the time period that Lincoln Clay was uh, running roughshod over, over New Bordeaux. Um, it's so well done. The only problem is the story is fantastic, but perhaps it's stretched out a bit too far in the open world genre that Hangar 13 have decided to make Mafia 3 within. Um, they, they've got some great stuff in there. And when you're doing those story missions and you're meeting those important narrative characters, it's brilliantly executed, but it's the stuff in the middle that detracts from the narrative however it is a fun stuff in the middle it does slow the narrative down and therefore maybe it doesn't come across as well as one would hope so i don't know if you guys have got anything you want to add or know anything about mafia but uh i really enjoy my time with mafia really 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 good you guys are you cool you good i mean this is a very tough category look yeah. up the story now and say yeah best story of the year i've no idea it's interesting because you get into the distinction between story and narrative because one of the things i really admire about mafia 3 is the way that it puts the player directly into the position of being the victim of racism in a way that feels very kind of tangible and induces a genuine reaction from the player oh, yeah. and oh, that's yeah. probably like under the umbrella of the narrative but with any open world game, I always struggle to talk about the narrative in any kind of really positive sense because dissonance is everywhere, you know, like the character's supposed to be doing this and that, but but then he goes and disappears off and goes quad biking or whatever the Mafia 3 equivalent <laughs> of is for six hours and then goes back to going, this is really important to me. Like, it, you always break the narrative in an open yep. world game. So. Yeah. No, you're, you're spot on, and I think we should move on from that. But I just want to keep give it props. It's one of those games I think is going to is showing up in a lot of people's lists for last year and never seems to win anything. Always the bridesmaid, never the bride. And it's a, I think it's a hell of an achievement, that Hangar 13, and I really admire how much they stuck to their guns when it came to portraying a realistic sort of level of racism and bigotry in their game, and they do not shy away from it, and it's, it's crazy impressive. Um, I'm going to come back to Inside and Firewatch uh, because I think we've got a lot to talk about there. Um, did anybody else other than me talk? Uh, did anybody else other than me play Oxenfree? No. <laughs> no. Uh, All right. I thought I, I thought you go briefly. My, my experience does not count because I downloaded it on a Surface Pro tablet. It does oh. not work on a Surface Pro tablet. So. Okay. That is. No. Um. The first three frames of animation. You see, I put this on the list because I thought there'd be some proponents for it because I didn't actually love it that much but i kind of admired what it was doing with narrative more than its actual story which is this kind of interruptible dialogue system um this dialogue system it's basically a ya horror adventure game so like a young adult adventure game and it's got some very well constructed characters that feel very realistic to those people of that age and in those situations you know and there's lots of different 
facets to them and stuff like that. But the best thing is the dialogue where you can basically sort of interrupt people, but it won't be a case of I just stops the dialogue dead. It then will change the dialogue and it will react to who you interrupt at that moment and how you interrupt. And then the, the patois between the individuals will be feel organic and realistic. And I've never seen it again. That's done it quite like that before. Um, and I thought it was, it just felt very naturalistic and, and it was very engaging for me. What let the game down was the kind of the, the final act, the big reveal, it didn't really strike me as particularly engaging or that well constructed, even less so than Firewatch, which we will come to shortly. I'm sure. Uh, I know Adam feels strongly about that final act. I do. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I just want. I think Oxenfree deserves recognition for that dialogue system. I'd love to see it again, but in a slightly better constructed game. But as you guys haven't played it, we can't really discuss it. So we'll move on. Quantum Break, Richard. Now yes. I put this on the list because Quantum Break's story is its best thing. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Yeah. I think time travel is hard to write. Quantum Break does it really well. So, deserves- well, time travel. No, time travel is easy to write. It's hard to write well. <laughs> that, that doesn't just full yeah. it full of terrible fucking paradoxes that don't make a jot of sense. And I think Quantum Break deals with its paradoxes and its time travel in a very almost sort of primer esque sort of aspirations of trying to ground it as much as possible. Um, yeah. And I really dig the characters in Quantum Break. I really enjoyed um, Serene. I really enjoyed the guy from X-Men. No, I couldn't have enjoyed it that much. I don't remember his name. Um, <laughs> Jack Joyce. Paul Serene. Was it Jack Joyce and Paul Serene? Is that right? It's been ages. Christ, when did that game come out, Richard? Was it like April. March? April. Yeah, it was a really long time ago now. So, yeah, trying to remember that playthrough. But um, is there anything for it in its defense? Or are you already thinking about your winner? Is there anything you wanted to throw up for Quantum Break's defense, or are you already thinking about that? How the fact that it's probably not going to win? So I don't think it is going to win. I don't think it's elegant enough. Although it's really well written, it is quite overwrought. Um, the simplicity of some of the other titles on the list, um, I think, probably top it, just because they achieve so much more with less. And Quantum Break is undercut by some of its gameplay issues uh, that do detract from the story somewhat. So, yeah, I don't think it's going to win, but it does deserve a shout-out because it has been overshadowed this year, regardless of anything else on the list. It hasn't really got the attention it deserves. Yeah, that's, that's, I think that's fair. Um, I know, I know the, the, the telling the... Telling the story through live-action television episodes was perhaps an odd one, um, but the fact that it... it projected them as as the the narrative for the the villain and gave you a lot of depth to that character really helped flesh out the activities that you were going through you know when you were just doing the silly over the top gunplay and using your time control powers and i think that was always there in your back of your mind that there there were greater reasons for what you were doing than just shooting shit you know so i think it did a good job of that yeah okay now now my dark horse that i put on this list and i know i won't get any support for it because i don't think any of you have played it but call of duty infinite warfare's story is fucking awesome like it has it has some of the best characters in sci-fi sort of storytelling i have seen in some time it's the best call of duty story and campaign since modern warfare the first one uh hands down easily 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 i am a sucker for well-written military sf and this absolutely nails it 
it, it is so much fun and you do genuinely care and it does this thing at the end which had me in tears had me no. in tears guys so basically over the end credit good because they they've made it free to play recently for a couple of days and right. i've got about three or four missions in right and i can't say it was particularly noteworthy. did you did you get to get in did you get to the point where you had your own uh, your own ship yeah, it just got to that where I became right. the captain or whatever. That's where it opens up because when you, when you right. get that, you can start to pick your missions. And it yeah. gives you like a selection of optional missions and you can take them in different orders. And then you can pick you can pick the pace you want to go through the story. But it all actually feels cohesive. And it feels like while you're doing this, you're getting character beats. You're bonding with your wingman. You're getting closer to the crew. You're, you're developing these relationships. And, and that really pays off in the end where over the end credits um you know basically in the final mission just about everybody dies including your character spoilers um but you're in stories now so we're going to talk about spoilers everybody dies and then over the end credits you get the option to play the letters um or the notes that they have sent to their families in the case of their death so you'll get to hear like you know petty officer first classes blood whatever the name is talking to their husband their wife their child about how you know they had to do this to protect them you know and it's so well done and it feel it rings so true and it and it's absolutely heartbreaking stuff and it's it's yeah i'm a sucker for a well constricted constructed military yarn with people doing heroic things for the right fucking reasons i love that shit and it absolutely nailed it for me absolutely I mean, nailed it i can only offer cynicism at this point do the letters mention that they're going to space <laughs> to find laser guns <laughs> there aren't there aren't many there aren't many laser guns actually in Infinite Warfare to be honest. Right. There aren't there aren't that many laser guns. The one thing that is a shame is that the villains are kind of like they're they're a bit sketched out. Um they're not you know, they've clearly yeah. put a focus yeah, I know it's surprising. A Call of Duty um, game not really fleshing out it's um it's it's, it's uh, enemies. That's that's unlike them. <laughs> well at least they don't just have towels on their head, you know, there is at least a bit more well, yeah. reason behind it than than op for, you know. Um so it's like yeah, there, there is that, but uh, what, what do they call them? Uh whiskey taggers and all that sort of shit but no that's the other thing they they get you know call of duty's always got the military dialogue down well all the abbreviations all the rank stuff or you know the the sort of back and forth between the different people in there the, there's a robot in this game a robot soldier you grow to really care about uh, and, and does he amazing. write does he write a letter to the machinery that built he, him at the end of the game actually does leave a letter <laughs> there is a letter it's not to the machinery that built him but it is it is a message that he leaves for people and um Aww. yeah it's it's it just strikes the it <laughs> hits those notes so fucking well you guys are all so cynical but honestly i was really impressed with this it, 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 after what have been years of terrible call of duty games like you know ghosts and, and black ops 3 i thought advanced warfare was good but like some of them have absolutely stunk like stunk um you know this this one has focused on its single player for a change and has has produced a surprisingly awesome story like really surprising um but i'm gonna move on because you guys all think <laughs> i'm insane <laughs> i mean you know I, I can easily believe it's good and everything but i don't know any story you attach to a game as ridiculous as Call of Duty is just—I can't take it seriously. I'm oh, sorry. because we're because we're going to talk about Inside now, and it's so fucking realistic, yeah. So, but like, like, what do you want? I think you're seduced by how bad the other Call of Duty games have been, and how much better this one is. I can tell it's better from what I've played, but that don't make it the best story of the year. Sorry. That that that's fair enough. Hands are up. Hands are up. Fair dues. Fair dues. Um, okay, so that leaves the big three. 
right? They're always going to be the top three for this category. Inside, Firewatch, Uncharted 4. It's going to be very hard to decide on one of these from these three, right? Isn't it? Very, very hard. Well, Adam doesn't agree, right? Adam, go ahead, with, go ahead, Adam, with Firewatch. Go. Uh, All right. So I still have very mixed feelings about the story in Firewatch. Um, and I know there's been a lot of discussion about it, and I've seen the sort of developer's commentary, and I, I understand what they were going for. And fair enough, that is what the story is about. The story is about a man who goes into the woods to hide from his kind of real-life problems, gets involved in a slightly fantasy sort of romance with a woman, and then at the end of it, the sort of lesson is that you can't hide from your problems, and he has to go back to his real life and deal with the things he's sort of trying to escape from. Okay, fine. Not sure I'm going to take lectures on escapism from a video game, but all right. That's what your story's <laughs> about, right? But it's a bit like, imagine if you sat down and watched Star Wars, and at the end of the film, the lesson was, Luke should have gone back home and learned to be a better moisture farmer. It's just not satisfying. <laughs> <laughs> not pleasing. <laughs> Do you know what that reminds me of? Do you know what it reminds me of? I have a friend who I was discussing Gone Home with, and he hates Gone Home with a passion, right? Because he thought Gone Home was going to be something supernatural. That it, it, that it yeah, indicates... Yeah, yeah. And it's the same problem you have with Firewatch, that it seems to be indicating that it's going to go down a certain road, when actually, no, it's it's far simpler than that. It's far no, more no, fair, grounded my, than that. My issue with Gone Home, but with Firewatch, ultimately yeah. is a sign that i'm a bad person but the lesson the game wants to give me i fundamentally disagree with he absolutely should escape from that life his life is bloody terrible it's not going to improve he has no mechanism to resolve it he's simply going back to misery and there was an opportunity for something better like there's all this sort of times in the game where it thinks it's offering you this sort of moral thing where it's like oh well is it right for him to be trying to form this relationship with another woman because his wife who is now so riddled with alzheimer's she doesn't recognize him is back at home needing attention she doesn't recognize him she's not there anymore delilah likes him <laughs> he should go and be with delilah there's no moral problem there for me at all Okay. His relationship is over. She is terminally ill and doesn't remember him. I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure. Your wife is behind you right now. No, she's not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure Delilah. I'm not sure Delilah does like him, and I'm not sure Henry even likes Delilah. I think. Okay. I think the biggest element of Firewatch, actually, when you talk about the story and the narrative, is paranoia. Uh, and this 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 fake world that is constructed in these two characters' minds due to the isolation that they find themselves in. That it's it's that it's that same thing. It's like you know falling in love with somebody over text message, or falling in love with someone over the internet, or in this case yeah, over the sure. radio. You don't actually know that person. They are projecting something to you. And 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 I think I'm not sure it is asking you to make moral judgments. It, it what all it Firewatch is really doing is showing you the sort of the frailty of the human mind. And and how need can make you do really stupid things. Also, your penis can make you yeah, do stupid. Yeah, that's things. fair. And I, and I think and I think that's what Firewatch is most about. But what I'm what I love the most about Firewatch is the paranoia aspect. How the way those characters make me feel what they are feeling. Um, yeah. You know that you're genuinely. You think after that time he's struck in the head. After that moment, you think, you know, oh, this is nice. I'm out by the lake. Oh, there's some kids being dicks. But it's like, oh, this is all fine. And then you get hit and you wake up and you're like, shit, there's a threat. And from that moment forward, you're always like, what's behind me? What's behind that bush? What's over there in those that dark parts of the woods? You're, you're fearing things that aren't there, that aren't really 
you know, a problem. You start imagining this conspiracy because it makes sense to you in that situation. And I think that's okay. the beauty of Firewatch. That's fair enough. But also my other criticism then of Firewatch is the way that conspiracy, that paranoia pays itself off, which is really rushed. And I, I, probably for understandable reasons, as I, you know, I've said, I've heard the commentaries and I've talk, listened to developer interviews. They're fairly... Um, clear about the fact that this was a narrative that was somewhat cobbled together at the last minute from what they'd managed to get finished. Mm -hmm. <coughs> but the entire story essentially pays off because you find a Walkman sellotape to a rock that has a recording in it in which someone says, yeah, I've done it all. It was all me. I did everything, even though that's basically impossible. And all the story bits to this point <laughs> said it's impossible for one person to be doing all this. Turns out I was. Cheerio. Get my mad skills, bro. You know what oh, I mean? And it's just like it feels so like I gave like Little Acre a bit of a pasting for sprinting for the finish, and Firewatch felt sort of similar in that it kind of goes, right, game's over now. Get off, get on the holic helicopter. Here's your explanation, it'll do. Piss off. And that was very disappointing to me. That is why it doesn't win. I yeah. mean, that is why it doesn't win this category. I mean, that's 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 the problem right there. And you can't deny it, it's, it's there um so i think we i think we move on to um the, ne the next two now richard now uncharted 4 is arguably the story of those characters is the reason you play that game i know for a fact why i bounced off that game actually after it first came out after about a month and didn't play it until about three weeks ago actually and finish it was because i got really bored of things like the combat um and that just it just wasn't it just wasn't clicking me so i came back and i'm like i'm gonna finish this before we do game of the year let's put the combat to lock on mode so i haven't got to worry about really aiming at enemies and let's just experience this story uh and see where it ends up i'm really glad i did i'd forgotten how much i loved those characters and how much i was enjoying those performances and that is what got me through that game and i think there's that's that is why Uncharted is on my top 10, for example, and why it deserves to be recognised for its story. Did you agree. agree? I do agree. And I, I think with it finishing off the story for Nathan Drake in a way that probably none of us expected, we all went into Uncharted 4 thinking, oh, well, someone's going to die, aren't they? Mm. Maybe Nathan, yep. maybe someone else. Um, I don't think I expected it to be resolved in the way that it did. And if it was going to be resolved that way, for it to be in any way satisfying. Somehow they've pulled uh, the double on Uncharted 4 and not killed off major characters uh, as a cheap way out, but yeah. they kept people around and still made it feel absolutely final. Yep, and, and, and it's genius. Amazing yeah. storytelling. There are some genius elements to that. They're, for example, they've, they've given Nathan and Elena the happy ending you never thought they could have. They've given them a beautiful child who you never know, maybe that will we'll get something with her in the future. But you've also they've left the door open with his brother and Sully to go off and have adventures together. So maybe, you know, if there's an Uncharted 5, we'll, we'll have it with them. You know, but, but Nathan is done. He seems to have hung up, you know, and you have that amazing epilogue with Cassie walking around their beautiful home on the, on the beach there in somewhere tropical, you know, discovering these artifacts and then having that amazing conversation with Nathan at the end where he's like, yeah, we did. Yeah. Mum and dad weren't always archeologists. We used to sort of like be tomb raiders and like fight pirates. And it's just such a, it's such an, a, a real moment where you're like, that, that is that a conversation would be, you know, it's awkward and it's endearing and it's, 
and it's just such a perfect way to leave that game uh, and that franchise um and it just left me with a massive smile on my face and i just thought it was such a touching touching moment but the other brilliance of uncharted 4 story and narrative is how they use his brother to do this end around on the whole series and to change his motivations and to give his motivations to becoming Nathan Drake and that and where they, they didn't even have that as a real surname. They adopted that surname and they, and they, you know, the motivation and it feels like his brother's always been a part of this series, even though he's only ever just shown up now in the fourth game. And they did that with a deft, masterful touch. I can only imagine how much work that must have taken to have like hammered that pot. There were moments that in that relationship where you thought, Oh, hang on, that that casts completely different light in that cutscene from mm-hmm. Uncharted One. You know, yeah. how many games do that? That they yeah, but not, give not you many. new context to a game that came out what eight years ago? Yeah, it is. It was. Yeah, Neil Druckmann, that with the guys who took over on the creative lead of this, uh, who's the Last of Us guy and stuff like that, and basically seems to be running Naughty Dog now. Um, you know, absolute, you know, legendary kind of maneuvers there with that, obviously, and uh, I, I just blown away by that ending i'm blown away by the whole game story actually uh, i really enjoyed the villains in that um and i really liked the setting up of characters like nadine and stuff like that uh, and rafe which we talked about in i think the previous podcast we were talking about best characters and i just thought it was perfect end for nathan and because of that you know it deserves a, a nod in best story but uh, i don't think it's going to win it but uh, i think we're going to talk about that shortly is there anything else you wanted to add about uncharted richard before we move on no i think so okay I think that's, so. It. that's it so the one we've all played and the one that's arguably easily the best story experience of the year inside. Now, I want to go to Joel first on this because he's been sat there quietly waiting to talk about it, bursting to talk about it because he's literally just beaten it because we told him you have to buy that game and play, and play it before you do this podcast. Next, you know, So he's done it. So he's fresh in his mind. So I want, And he's also got a thousand gamer score. I also saw in his uh, achievements. So, Joel. Right. Yeah. So if, for those of you listening last week, I actually bought it whilst we were live on air <laughs> uh, due, to, due to all the positive conversation that was going on around it. And uh, yeah, immediately when we finished, I played it and completed it that night. I sat until 1am finishing it off. Um, so first of all, the obviously the expectations are really high uh, because we we're doing, talking about it positively. And yeah, it, <laughs> met, it met those expectations. Wow. Um, narrative, why is it? It's one of those... It's one of those great games that kind of is very, you know, it's, it's purely visual, really, with obviously some audio cues and stuff, but it leaves you to try and figure out what's going on and, and kind of build your own story, I found, as it went along. So as it kind of started off, at, at first I'm trying to piece together the bits and I'm just like, ah, you know, thinking, you know, you move through the first area, you're sort of people trying to catch you, and first you're thinking you're trying to escape. Um, and then you start coming across piles of corpses and sort of what appears to, you know, speaking of poison gas and I think, ah, I'm not actually trying to escape. It looks like I'm trying to break into somewhere into some quarantine zone and my, you know, building all these own my stories of what's going on in my head. And, you know, that progresses through the game basically. Um, as it all starts, you know, I built my own story about what I was seeing, what was going on. Um, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure if we, you know, if everyone tried to sit down and talk about it at the end of it, you probably all have some similar, you know, there are some major themes there that would probably all be similar, but you may, everyone may have a slightly different, sort of different perspective on it. So um, for a game that doesn't actually give you a story, you know, outright give you a story, I think it's, yeah, the way it presents itself is, yeah, really, really good. So, yeah, I had a, a fantastic cool. time with that last week. Let's spoil this then. Um, I, me, me and me and Richard disagree on that ending, and I think we still disagree on that ending, because I saw the ending 
when you when you get out of the facility and you're the ball. I saw that as somewhat hopeful and um, you know something. But Richard was very different, if I remember rightly. <laughs> you didn't think he was dead, did you? I was not not necessarily dead. No, he's dead. It's not dead. It'll always be alive in my heart. It'll always be alive. <laughs> always. Now, what did you think of the ending then? When you when you that third act reveal where you become this monster and you take back the power and you uh, blast through the facility and get so, out and stuff. Yeah, I thought it. I thought it was. Yeah, uh, you know, yeah. Quite. You, you're coming along and there's that curiosity. What's everyone looking at in there? And you say, you know, it's coming. You know, I'm going around the back. I'm breaking in. And then you get in there and you get absorbed by this massive blob monster. And at first I thought, oh, this is good. It's going to end. But then obviously you become the blob monster and you get to make your break for it. Um, but then whilst you're making your break for it, obviously some people appear to be trying to help you to maybe escape and get out. Others others are trying to impede your escape. So, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I wasn't quite sure. And then obviously when you say at the end, it's a kind of a very hopeful ending. It's, it doesn't really seem helpful. You sort of crash off this cliff edge and lie, lie on a beach. I don't really see where you're going to get to from there. Um, I'm still not entirely <coughs> sure what I kind of make of that Um you know, ending. You know what what it was all supposed to mean. The the whole blob and stuff in reference to the to the other parts. So, but yeah, I really enjoyed it anyway, and I, I still enjoy thinking about what it could be and what it could mean and all the different potential angles I could take on it. If you see so what I'm saying. So, if you've got a thousand game score, you found the hidden room, and yeah. you did all that. Yeah. So that means that's that does strongly imply that the blob is mind controlling your character. Yes. There's the the alternate ending gives you a slightly different perspective mm. on it. Yeah, that you were mind controlled the whole way. So uh, you know, I think, do you know what? I don't think, I, I think perhaps I don't necessarily think the blob is alive now, but I still see that ending as optimistic because it's, it's, it's achieved a certain kind of freedom, which I think is, it's quite a beautiful ending, isn't it? It's, it's, it's a very peaceful, a happy death rather to die free than live in captivity, that sort of thing. It reminded me of the, you know, like Limbo's ending was beautiful as well. I thought you literally just crash through the glass and and then you're back at the start of the game essentially. Um, and it was it was very serene like that, you know. And Limbo again was a game where you kind of built your own story to try and understand the whole thing about it. You know, my personal perspective was kind of um, not not it was what a theory I read from a fan on Limbo that was about a car crash and those those few seconds of the accident happening. Um, and like being those few seconds of reliving your whole life in kind of a flash before your eyes before crashing through the windscreen, which was what the glass was supposed to be at the end. And I thought, actually, that was a really brilliant um, summary of what Limbo could be. And, you know, I'm, I'm still trying to find maybe what it could be for, for inside, but I'm sure there's something there. I thought it was quite yeah good anyway. The, the difficulty I have when talking about the story and narrative of inside is that it's quite hard to convey it. Because it because it is just visual language. You could you could, and it's a short experience. You could sort of almost go through the whole thing. Oh, and then you may meet the girl underwater, and you think she's trying to kill you, and then she helps you die, but come back with more powers. And it's like, oh, what you know, you could do that, but it's it's an ex, it's a story that is an experience. It's an emotional journey rather than just you know A to B to C, Act One to Act Two, Act Two, Act Three. Um, it, it's very difficult to almost talk about. You, everybody thinks of that last big moment, but the whole the whole game has been leading to that in such a well crafted, well polished way. Um, but weirdly, we're talking about it uh, as a story now with you guys. 
I'm not sure it wins best story. It doesn't, I don't think. Because I, I think it's a great experience and a fantastically polished game. And we will talk about it in the final the final part, I'm sure, where we talk about game of the year, which is a very personal thing where we're going to come up with our top five and it will come up there. But I don't think it can be best narrative. I think it's got maybe the best moment, which is that that transformation. And I think it's got some of the be the best sort of like sort of narrative surprise when you become the blob. But I'm not I'm not sure it's it's the most well told story. Um, For me, the issue I have potentially with Inside is it's a very, very cool narrative. It takes you through some really interesting moments. It lets you make theories. It lets you sort of, it's thought provoking. And it does it in a really kind of artsy and classy way that most games don't even get close to. But I am just naturally suspicious of games that get the player to write so much of the storyline in their own head. It all feels a bit hand wavy and it's a bit vague. And by the end of it, you have a sense that the only person who really knows what was going on in this game is the guy who made it. And maybe he doesn't either entirely. You know, maybe there's some bits in there that are just like, oh, this seems kind of mysterious. I'll throw this in. You know, there's a diorama yeah. in the background of one of the lab scenes, which is the final point where you die. Mm -hmm. Now, if you can't explain that, and I don't think anyone, I've not seen any fan theories that can explain why that's there that the scientists know where the blob is going to finish and die before all of this happens, like all of this has been planned. That's the point where I start to go, uh, some of this is just kind of weird for weird's sake. I don't know. To me, that there is kind of an explanation for that, but it's really hard for me to put into words because I'm not sure I've quite got it straight in my mind either because it is too vague. But it feels like the story is kind of recursive. It's like a Russian doll type mm. of story where it is about mind control but it's you as the player controlling yeah, the character's mind and the secret room if we can talk about that that is unplugging something from a wall which shuts down the character and the entire game and mm. that's you doing that it that tells me that the game is about the relationship between the character and the player and that's why it appears that things are helping him along the way because they are. It's a game, and anything in there, even enemies or opponents of your uh, of the avatar, are ostensibly they're, they're obviously there to further his progress in mm. some way. They might ostensibly be an impediment, but they're so, there I mean, to make progress through the game. What What is the boy inside? He is inside the game. Yeah. yeah. So I mean that that does that does make a lot mm. of sense, but. As a authored story, Richards, how do you feel about it? I agree with Adam. I think it does leave too much to the player to write, and I'm not sure whether they decided that was that's what the story was, or if, I, if I've done that for myself, because it seems to make sense to me. Okay, and so I don't as an authored, I agree. And so, uh, if we're looking to talk about an authored story and an impressive narrative with character development. It's got to be Uncharted, hasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't it got to be Uncharted? That's what I'd give it to. Not in and of itself, but the way it tops off, um, you know, a series of four games in the best yeah. possible way. As a as a final act, so all yeah. Uncharted. Yeah. I agree. And like potentially, there is a very real chance that some of what happens in Uncharted Four was planned in Uncharted One, which was sort of a surprise success. Like. 
it's an incredibly sort of gutsy piece of storytelling to spread a narrative over these four products and have these little callbacks. That no, you see, I, 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 don't, I don't think it, it was. Feels like no. it was. But it feels oh, like right. it was, which is even in a way that's even more impressive to make it to make it all yeah, fit together. Yeah, you, it's, okay. it's incredible. Yeah, how they make that work. You might be right. They might have had like a, a Bible sketched out where it's like, oh, he's got a brother at some point. Maybe we'll use that and. Maybe we can bring that. Yeah, it's quite possible because you know that's that's how creative minds think, isn't it? When they when they yeah. design games like that. So you might be right, but uh, it, it's it's impressive. Joel, you've gone quiet. Are you disappointed about us maybe moving inside away? No, 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 no. I think I think you absolutely make the correct uh, uh, insides. It, it it's food for your imagination, basically, isn't it? And yeah. you know that for everyone, it's a very personal and fantastic experience. But we're talking about best story narrative here. Um, yeah, so I, I I don't think it wins on that front. I, I think it's amazing for what it does but yeah this isn't its category really if you see what i'm saying so yeah i think i agree with what everyone's saying so to sum up the best story and narrative of 2016 goes to uncharted 4 that's two wins in a row for uncharted 4 actually which is a little bit of a surprise for the game that was only number 10 on my list um <laughs> but uh you know but you know discussing it with you guys i think both of those is that's fair isn't it but also i mean you know, it's, it's one graphics and story what does Uncharted 4 do best? Graphics story. Yeah. So, you know. <laughs> if it was going to win any, it was going to win those, yes. Right. Biggest surprise. Now, this is like, this. It, it didn't just have to be games, but that's kind of mostly way this has gone. Um, so I'll, I'll run through the, the category here. Uh, Doom, Recall, XCOM 2 coming to consoles. It didn't come out in 2016 on PC, guys. Do we strike that from the list? Probably. Yeah, go on. Yeah, strike XCOM too. Yeah, I think you. I think you're right. Pokemon Go. Whoever put that's off their fucking mind. Thumper, <laughs> uh, Watch Dogs Two, and the release of Frog Fractions Two. Specifically, the release of it. I'm. I'm not sure who added yeah. that, but um. <laughs> I, okay. You know, I was. I, I was very there. very surprised. All right. Well, I'm gonna. Last Guardian should go in then as a replacement. Uh, that would involve a lot of work for me editing documents, but I suppose I can do that. Yeah, if you want to be a dick. Is Last Guardian going to win, Richard? <laughs> no. Oh, no. I will. <laughs> was it I bought it. it I'll, I'll say this. I was, perhaps, but you could say the same for Final Fantasy XV if you like, but um, which isn't anywhere on any of these lists because I haven't had a chance to play it yet, to be fair. But no, I, I picked up I picked up Last Guardian. I'm looking forward to trying it. I got it in the in the sale on PSN, so I, I will be giving it a go, but um, I don't think it really has much of a chance in this category, to be honest. But biggest, that's the, maybe the best use of fur textures. Best cat dog. Best, <laughs> best cat, cat bird. Best cat bird dog thing. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah, when's that? We'll give, we'll give last guy in that one. Right, so um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with Doom. Yeah, I was surprised thought, by Doom. Who, who thought Doom, a Doom game, I mean, I'm always going to, like a doom game because i love that series right no doubt but who thought a doom game in 2016 was going to be as good as that doom game well i might be meant to fault my ignorance here because when was it actually announced as well because from the from seeing like first look trailers to it to it coming out seemed a much shorter cycle than i'm used to it wasn't that long um they showed it at quake con uh yeah. but they kept it all behind closed doors it never actually leaked what mm -hmm. was shown there because the fans of doom and quake are that respectful of of it i believe they just they just didn't leak it which was a massive surprise uh and then i think it was shown at the e3 in the previous year um a little bit but it wasn't it wasn't like massively blown out 
we had a few trailers and stuff but no mostly like the, the i think what they talked about Whoa. Apparently, uh, apparently, it was announced in two thousand and eight. Well, yes and no. Okay. Yeah. Doom, as, a, as new, a new and yeah, a new Doom game was in development actually as for a long time, and they it was codenamed kind of by fans as Call of Doom because they were making it into a an Earth based military esque shooter, and it was going to be a very different product. But that all got scrapped and thrown yeah. out. And, yeah. and yeah, yeah. two thousand and fourteen. Yeah. yeah. So that, that there was a big, but, big, uh, big major, yeah. Anyway, the, the point I'm making is just that it felt like a very short kind of hype cycle. It was, yeah. Compared well, was, to most was, AAA games. And it so it was a surprise a, for me that it came out at all. It wasn't just a short hype cycle. It was a negative hype cycle because they put out that multiplayer beta and everybody fucking hated it. <laughs> now, that, that's the thing. Everybody played that and went, oh, God, no, what have they done? This is going to be awful. And so, therefore, it brought expectations way down. And then on top of that... This was the first game Bethesda did the whole no early review code thing with. Yeah. And then everybody was like, oh, God, right, that's it. This is going to suck. This is going to be the biggest pile of horseshit. And then there I got it on the day release, and I'm like, oh, God, I'm going to like it at some level because I like Doom, but it's it's going to suck. And I'm like, oh, my God, the, the way this plays, and it, this is amazing. <laughs> this is so good. Uh, and, you know, it's blown away. Uh, and I've been subsequently blown away even more by it as I've gone back to it over the last year. Um, mm. So it completely, completely surprised me. Um, yeah. jo- Joel, did you put yeah. Pokemon Go on this list? I didn't put Pokemon Go on the list. No, I don't. F- I put that on the, the what we discussed last week. I did. I did add it, but I can't recall adding it here. But on Doom, uh, yes. I think I share your sentiments. I my I had seriously had low expectations for this. I thought it was going to be uh, bringing back another kind of old game, and it was going to be excessively disappointing. Uh, badly done. I thought they'd burrow lots of ideas from the popular kind of Call of Duty Battlefield games just to try and play it real safe. Yeah. Um, get something, you know, get something to plug that gap for the market for them. And it, it, it didn't. It, it, I was absolutely genuinely impressed by it. It was really good fun. Um, and that's why, I, that's why for me it was the biggest surprise, really. Ah, so I was 100% expecting looking down the iron sights of a plasma cannon, yeah. shooting <laughs> a cacodemon, with jam or smeared love of the screen, recharging health, the works. And like when you see the videos of it and you look how faithful they've been to the sort of format of Doom, but with a really sensible kind of update into a modern world. Yeah, it, it definitely surprised me a lot. I really thought they were going to, you know, do something terrible or make another Doom 3 where it's just bloody a uh, bunch of jack in the boxes in the dark, you know. Yeah. But they didn't do that either. They did a proper ultra violent. Slaughter the hordes, proper Doom game, and so fair play to it. That's the surprise, isn't it? That it felt like Doom One. Yeah, but it was still still good in this decade. Yeah, yeah. It modernised, but felt like like true to its roots. Yeah, really impressive. Yeah. But we'll talk about that probably a little bit more later. Richard, is is Recore on this list because it was such a surprise that it was so bad? I didn't put it on the list, so I don't know. But I really enjoyed Recore. Um, if you didn't put it on the list, who fucking did? No idea. <laughs> Fair enough then. Maybe we should just move on and ignore that's on this list because I don't understand. So, um, po- Pokemon, Pokemon Go, anyone? No, I'm, just try- Pokemon Go? I'm trying to wonder if I did put it on the list, maybe. Uh, I, I can make a half-hearted case for it, but I don't believe it. <laughs> like... <laughs> This could be a quick category. We kind of could do with a quick category, I suppose, at this point. So that makes. Pokemon Go was a surprise, not in itself, but for what it did. Yeah, I was surprised how successful it was. And not just how successful it was, but the sort of people it reached and the things that it did 
to those people? I mean, you heard of people with, um, uh, what do you call it, Auto on the autistic spectrum yeah. who would never go outside, and Pokemon mm. Go, an iPhone app, tra literally transformed their lives for sustained periods of time. Mm. That's mental. Um, Admirable. The game is still shit, but hey. <laughs> Doesn't make it a good game. Doesn't make yeah, it. A good this game. isn't the best game category. It's biggest. No, surprise. just well, fairly right. surprising for a, a shit video game. Yes, that's that's <laughs> true. I'll give you that. Now, the, a bit of a dark horse here. This must have been you, Richard, because I know nobody else has played this. Thumper? No, I didn't do that either. <laughs> it's somebody like funny. trolling Richard, putting games on this list <laughs> to make that look like Richard games, but aren't. Richard's games, like just so when I throw to him, he's like, I don't know. Maybe we should have put names on these. But maybe I we should have put anything on that category. Well, that might be. Maybe somebody did it to help you out because you weren't doing your job properly. Yeah. Maybe I don't know. That might be it. Yeah. My, I, I, I did add stuff, but I wouldn't have added something like Thumper because I haven't. I'd want to play it, but I haven't played it. Uh, all right, moving on. Uh, we'll go to Adam. Uh, well, Frog Fractions too, Adam. You can talk about Yeah, that. so, I mean, like, again, it's just because the category is the biggest surprise, and there'd been... I don't know if I need to do the full recap of why Frog Fractions 2 is a thing, but uh, it was a game that was rumoured to be coming out, but it had been kickstarted, and at the end of the Kickstarter, the developers had announced that it was going to come out, but it would be hidden in some way, that there'd be some secrecy around it, and that it probably wouldn't be... In fact, that it definitely wouldn't be just a straightforward release of Frog Fractions 2. And how it actually did come out, there was an elaborate AR game in which there were hidden symbols buried in a dozen obscure indie titles, including like some weird kind of app software stuff that ended up on Steam. There's like a spreadsheet program that's got some link to it as well. And when, this, when the AR was finally solved, um, the location of Frog Fractions 2 was revealed, and it turns out it's hidden in a game called Glitter Mitten Cove, and you have to do some sequence of actions in there to unlock and reveal Frog Fractions 2, which is, like, hidden under the surface. Um, you know, that's got to all count as a fairly big surprise. I did not... You know, for years, like, there's been a meme knocking around, like, is this Frog Fractions 2? Every weird game that comes out, is this Frog Fractions 2? What's going on? And then... It came out, and there it was. And it's not that good, actually, but then it never could have been because the whole point about Frog Fractions was it looks like a piece of edutainment trash, and it turns into this utterly surreal acid trip where you end up in Mars Court trying to become a citizen of the Bug Empire, and then it turns into a text adventure, and then you turn into playing Dance Dance Revolution as you campaign to be president of Mars, etc., etc. Like, Frog Fractions just goes through a million weird little phases. And that was, a, like, amazing because it was such a big surprise. And Frog Fractions 2, you know it's going to be weird and full of surprises, so none of them are surprising anymore. But the release of it, it genuinely, like, it was one of those kind of moments where, you know, if I'd had a glass in my hand, I would have dropped it and gone, what, seriously? They actually released that. Wow. All right. What's he going to do for Frog Fractions 3? That's the question. Uh, God knows. It's probably already out there, isn't it? Gotta find it. <laughs> <laughs> that would be that would be smart yeah. if it wasn't really out there. That'd be quite cool. Yeah, maybe. Right. Well, I put I put Watch Dogs Two on this list because who thought a sequel to Watch Dogs could be as good as Watch Dogs Two? Nobody, I think, thought that. Um, except maybe some people did because Ubisoft have got precedent with that sort of thing. 
where they do, you know, Assassin's Creed 1 kind of sucked, but Assassin's Creed 2 was excellent. So, you know, they do they do know how to do that. Um, but I, I almost don't have the energy to fight for Watch Dogs 2 in this category because um, I know none of you agree with me. And uh, me and my open world games, I'm the only one that seems to have played any of them this year. Uh, so it's a little bit sad. But I will say Watch Dogs 2 is an excellent sequel. Not just you though, Ben. I mean, that's a fairly common feeling about Watch Dogs too. Mm. Everyone was surprised how good it was. Mm. No one expected yeah. it to be anything like um, it turned out like. So that's a fair shout, I'd say. But it's not the winner. Doom's the winner. Yeah. <laughs> Doom's the winner. I can isn't probably it? go with that. Doom. All right. So let's just do that. Let's move. We've got. We want to get to the game of the year in a way. So we're. We've got one more category before we get there. But let's just say then, 2016's biggest surprise, Doom. <laughs> no the surprise doubt. being Doom was actually good. That's the surprise. Yeah, 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 yeah. it yeah. wasn't just a heap of shit churned out with that name. Right, bit of an odd one now, guys. Um, and I've kind of just listed all on this all the ones I could remember when it comes to part of this. So most unnecessary sequels or remasters slash HD collection slash HD remaster slash it's not an HD remaster. It was HD the last time it came out. Yeah. Um, so yeah, whatever you want to call it, but re-released games and pointless. Sequels. We've got Gears of War four, a little bit harsh that I think, guys. We'll put that there. Uh, <laughs> Deadlight <laughs> director's cut. Is that you? Who? Who? You <laughs> it, me? I think I might have done, but I can't remember. I don't think it was. Anyway, Deadlight director's cut, Bioshock trilogy, Dead Rising triple pack slash Dead Rising four, Shadow Complex remastered, Marvel Ultimate Alliance, Call of Duty Modern Warfare remaster. Um, Gears of War 4 should not be on this list. Oh, it's actually not. that's actually a pretty good game, and but if you it, the fact that it's a good game doesn't necessarily mean it isn't unnecessary. Did did Gears of War 4 did it need to do what it did? Did it need to come out? Yes. Did it did it add to that? Yes, yes. absolutely. There is yeah. no Gears of War game on the Xbox One other than that. So yeah, mm. all right. And also, like, okay. if you're Epic's accountant, then yeah, man, Gears of War Four needed to come out. What you were you playing at? Like, go get yeah, that Ep money. Ep Epic didn't make uh, Gears of War Four. Well, however, also, it's it's on the PC as well. Um, yeah. Is another point to make of that. The uh, first one since the first. I don't. I think Gears of War was on right. the PC and no other since. Um, and it's also uh, was the first crossplay game. I'm not sure. I think it was the first crossplay game, as well. So I don't. I think it should definitely not be on the list. No, I don't think it is. Was Forza out before? Recall he means crossplay. Yeah, yeah. Cross no, no, it is crossplay. I played crossplay on it earlier this week with a so friend. You can play, hold on, so you can play multiplayer. Across yeah, PC and... I play. Yeah, we, I was doing co-op campaign on my PC, and my friend was playing on my Xbox next to me. So that's yeah. cool. It works very, very well and very easily. It's, yeah, it's remarkably impressive. All right, in that case, so, that shouldn't be here. Sorry. Um, <laughs> Deadlight Director's Cut, uh, totally unnecessary, but also completely forgotten. It's a perfectly fine HD remaster. It just was a bit like, eh, it wasn't the greatest game originally. And it was, I, why? I don't know. Money? Tequila, I think it's Tequila Works game. And I think they might have needed a paycheck because they haven't done anything in ages. <laughs> Um, so I suspect, yeah. So I think that might be what that was. Um, I, I'll knock off the, the quick little ones before we look at the big ones. Uh, Shadow Complex Remaster. I I put that there because I didn't like the original as much as so many other people did. So I was just like, "Fuck you with your remaster." Um, <laughs> Metroidvania. <laughs> Metroidvania overrated, bitch. 
Um, so, no. To eat. Well, it was overrated. I agree with you just generally that I hate Metroidvania games, so, you know, I'm on your side. But, oh, wow, uh, cool. Because <laughs> it seems quite... that everybody fucking loves Metroidvania. No, they're tedious shit. No, cool. they're good. No. I like them. I like them. Two against two. That means this 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 won't win because it doesn't have the consensus. So moving on, um, Call of Duty Modern Warfare or something that will let me win. <laughs> <laughs> Call of Duty Modern Warfare Remaster. This will be my pick. Um, it's it's good in the fact that it looks like a modern game. It's bad in the fact that it plays like Call of Duty did when it came out, which feels really fucking dated and weird. When you when you have to deal with like, I mean, the single player is strange because it's like you. Oh, hold on. Oh, we're stacking up, are we? Oh, okay. I'll just sort of stand here and wait. I guess then. This is weird. Why aren't we just moving forward like all the time, like we do in every other first-person shooter now? Oh, I have to be patient. This is strange break of flow. Uh, and then and then in multiplayer, it's just full of annoying children, like it always was, swearing at you and calling you a uh, racist words. My question about modern warfare is. Are the Call of Duty? I don't really play that many Call of Duty games. I probably did play Call of Duty Modern Warfare because it was at my time when I was playing a lot of online Xbox stuff. But have the Call of Duty games moved on so far that people are going to be nostalgic for one yes. from a few years previous? Like, do they yes. change that much? Because they don't look like they change that much. People it looks like there you're is... shooting brown people from a long range with the same guns you always were. There are people the same controls. There, there's All some right. hardcore people. I don't care about the hardcore elitists. What I'm saying is, if you're going to remaster an old game, surely yeah. you remaster something that's like, oh, this sort of game has died out. No one makes games like this anymore. I assure you, we're still making games like Modern Warfare. That has not stopped. We did not to go into go into the past and like re-pillage it. It's fine. Like remaster Lords of Midnight or something on the Spectrum. Great. People don't make games like that anymore. Maybe people are nostalgic <laughs> for it. No one's going, do you know what we need? We need a military uh, sort of, you know, real-world shooter with regenerate uh, health and, like, you know, very accurate gun models because we haven't got enough of them. I wish there were more. It's ridiculous. Uh, yeah, for me, on the Call of Duty thing, I think I've still got it on my Steam list, the original one, uh, as in Call of Duty Modern Warfare, and it still works on my PC. It, did, it didn't need remastered, you know, for me, remastering um kind of yeah you know, as you say it's a game that's so old i probably haven't got the technology around to play it anymore or something and you know it kind of justifies it was a good game and they could make it back from scratch and and and, and sort of open it up to a newer generation who maybe never got to try it out but yeah this is just most of the games on this list are, are, are kind of like i've still got them in my steam list the originals still work i never needed a remaster it's it's really mr that's the thing that's why it's so hard to actually give a name to this category because um for example right so you go well why why have they done this right for so you ask a bioshock trilogy being remastered and, and refandagled and put out you oh okay right so it's not backwards compatible so this is a way you get to double dip and then about it, it came out about two months ago and then i think it was about a month ago all the Bioshock games showed up on Xbox as backwards compatible. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just like, I don't, why did you farm this out? Go to the effort of getting this re redone, you know, and in many ways, people have argued it's actually a bit worse, the remaster, <laughs> where it's like the water looks weird. They had sound technical problems. For whatever reason, it had disabled the ability to take screenshots or video capture 
um, in, inside the game. And I can't understand why if that was a technical problem. But it was issues with the port, basically. And, it, and then they put him back with compatible. And I'm just like, I don't get it. What's the, what's the thinking behind that? Because um, that's the other point is that one of the other reasons you might go back and remaster is if you've got a very good game, but the visuals are now a bit ropey and not really up to the standards of the modern era. That's not true of many of the games on this category. I definitely nope. don't think it's true of Bioshock. Like, nope. Bioshock still looks pretty good, I think, because it had yeah, artistry yeah. as well as um, visual technology. Yeah. So, so it's, just, it's just a money grab. It's just a money yeah. grab. It's basically you, you're looking at that quarter and you're going, I, if we can get a remaster in there, we can bump our numbers up for the end of that quarter, even though we're going to probably put them in backwards compatible. They probably put them in backwards compatible because they actually looked at the sales and went, well, that's dropped off so much now, we can <laughs> put them in backwards compatible because there's no yeah, point yeah. we're going to get any more sales from you've it. Got to think, they, were, they were ready before the remasters came yeah. out. And they helped well, basically, them so they could make some money off that. What work. what Phil, yeah, what Spencer has said about about the, the the backwards compatible stuff is that there's almost no work needed by the developers. They just need to give them the permission That's to permission. do it. Yeah. yeah. So it's like as long as they say you can do it, they can put them up. They they've done the work. The work is on the back end. So yeah, I, I don't. I just that that might win for that reason. It's just the frustrating money grabbingness of it. I mean, like Marvel Armor Alliance. Um, actually. I put that on there before I actually played it a bit. And now that they've patched in the DLC characters that were omitted from it, uh, and I was able to get it in the sale, because at the original prices, it's ridiculous. Um, but in the sale, they've done some nice stuff stuff with upraising the textures. The first game definitely looks considerably better than it did. It was an early 360 game. Um, and I think it does genuinely look a bit smoother and a bit nicer, and they've done some nice things with it. Um, so I don't think that deserves to, to win, as it were, win this category. Um, all right, Elephant in the Room, because this category is also most unnecessary sequel. Um, so this is kind of a double header. The Dead Rising triple pack, and then, because of that almost, Dead Rising 4. So I played the Dead Rising triple pack, which is actually a, a nice pack. It comes with um, Dead Rising, Dead Rising 2, and Dead Rising, off the rec Dead Rising 2 off the record. Strangely, doesn't include Dead Rising 3, but okay, that's one of the weird things they do nowadays. Um, and yeah, it, it, it plays a little bit smoother. It looks a little bit better, but it's nice to be playing Frank West again and nice to have that available. And those games are not available as backwards compatible titles at the moment. But because of that pack and how much it reminded me how much I liked Dead Rising and how well it, you know, well it still holds up and how well it plays, then playing Dead Rising 4 and how realizing how far that has moved away from what it should be as a Dead Rising game really makes me just dislike Dead Rising 4 that bit, that bit more. That game was super disappointing, guys. Um, Just to be the semantic pain in the ass about this, though, the category's not worst sequel. It's unnecessary sequel. And you well, were Dead excited. Four is a, Dead you were excited. You were excited for Dead Rising 4. You were pleased it was coming out. The fact <laughs> that when it came out, it was bad. But clearly, it was necessary. You wanted it. So have I, have I, have I, been, have I been hoisted by my own petard here? In my own petard oh, the yeah. naming of the category. Have I actually yeah. screwed myself out of the win here on this one? Okay, I mean, fair, fair, okay. Well, I mean, we can do a worse sequel category next year or something, but that's not fair. me. You got me there, sir. You got me on a technicality, goddammit. The letter <laughs> of the law, not the spirit of the law. <laughs> uh, but all right, I, I can see that. So who? what's your pick on this, Adam, at the minute then? Where, where are you feeling? I can go with either Modern Warfare or the Bioshock Trilogy. I think both of them were wholly unnecessary. They didn't fill a hole that people were missing from games nowadays. I think in the Bioshock case, you can go back and play them if you like them. Like, they didn't need to be remastered. They still hold up. I think that was both totally pointless and obvious, obvious cash grabs. Joel. Okay, so very similar. 
Um, but the only difference being that for Bioshock, at least on the Steam copies, they gave it to you for free if you own the original, whereas Modern Warfare Remastered was an absolute cash grab, I think. It was a way to try and really desperately get those people to buy that 80 pound. I, can't, I don't know how much the ultimate special edition cost, but yeah, um, the way they packaged it to sell it, I think, was what gives it the edge for me. Richard? I was going to go the other way on that. The Call of Duty um, Modern Warfare was remastered, really is just an extra part of the Infinite Warfare package. There was a new game in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bioshock just rehashed existing games for no reason whatsoever. So I think I'd probably go for Bioshock. I think yeah. I lean towards I lean towards Bioshock as well because of what you guys have said, but also because of the port of that remaster is not good. It's actually, you know, what they've done with some of the water effects and what they've done with the technical problems they had and at least on Xbox and stuff with the audio and things like that, it was actually in some ways worse than the yeah, originals. I mean, Modern Warfare did look a lot better, didn't it? And if, you, if you're not going to yes. do anything to make it technically more impressive, what is the point of Bioshock's remaster? That's fair. So it's Bioshock demastered. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I, the graduate. Joel, can you, can you concede to, to Bioshock on this? Are you happy with that? No, they're both, to be honest, a lot of them on this list are, are, are yeah. massively pointless. It's, you know, uh, they, they, we, we should almost have a, you know, triple joint winner. It's, um, <laughs> they're all, they're all cut from the same bad cloth. So, yeah, I could easily concede it. When I was making my notes for this podcast, I did actually at one point write in the notes, can't all of these win for this category? Yeah. Like, yeah. Just, there's well, a I lot think, of just pointless monsters. I get rid of Gears of War 4, but yeah, the rest of them, I think, yeah. just So let's say this. Some... All the nominees in the most unnecessary... <laughs> they're all losers in their own special yeah. way. Okay? That, that's... So the loser, the biggest loser for the 2016... Uh, most unnecessary remastered slash re-release slash pointless port goes to the Bioshock trilogy. Okay, so the big one. Game of the year 2016. We have 13 games on this category. I will read them through. We want a top five in order. Right? So let me read them out. XCOM 2's got to come out, hasn't it? Hold on. Let, wait, 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 uh, let me read it. Let me read them, Rich, before we start cutting. But let me read it, all right? Doom, Inside, Firewatch, Mafia 3, XCOM 2, Forza Horizon 3, Superhot, Battlefield 1, Uncharted 4, Overwatch, The Witness, Quantum Break, and Titanfall 2. Now, Richard, you want to catch XCOM 2 because it was a PC release in 2015. Is that correct? Yeah, well, that's why we cut it from another category, right? So yeah, that is, that is correct. Adam, that is correct. We aren't getting that wrong, are we? That did come out in 2015. Uh, I'll double check now, but I think you're probably right. This does unfortunately take my choice for this category out of the category. <laughs> <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> We're just doing some research on that. But, right, so. Ah, we... No! It was released this year. It was. February the 5th, 2016. Mm. In that case, we shouldn't have cut it from the previous category we cut it from, but it probably wasn't going to win Best Surprise anyway. No. Uh, so that, that stays in. So we've got 13 games. Let's try and cut down to 10 to start with. So three games from this list that we definitely don't think should make the top 10. I will go to Joel first because he's probably been the quietest so far. If there was one game on one, one or three games, however you want to do this, that you'd cut first, what would it be? So um, I'm going to go for Titanfall 2. I have just completed it. 
today. I just, it was a good game, but it just wasn't special in really any aspect. I think everything it did, I could name another game that did that one thing slightly better. So Ooh. yeah, I'm going to put my wow. put my vote out uh, for that. I'm going to have to disagree, mate, big time. Mate. I'm going to have to veto straight away on that. Um, <laughs> no, that is... That is <laughs> That is, it's one of my top 10 games that was in near around the fifth spot on my list. Um, it's got a fantastic single player. It's got brilliant mobility. The, mo- the, mo- the multiplayer is fantastic, sublime multiplayer, which just sets it above everything else. Fair, fair enough. I haven't done the multiplayer. I'll just I'll caveat it with that. I've only done the single player. I'm kind of bummed to hear you didn't enjoy the single player. I mean, it's got those, it's got a couple of really oh. brilliant levels in there. I enjoyed like, it. Absolutely um, fantastic levels. I really just inventive. It, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I just didn't think it was, um, you know, we're talking about best game here, and I didn't think it was. There's nothing. There was nothing completely new that I've not seen before, and I could name other games I think like that have done certain aspects better, like the mobility you talk about. Did you ever play Vanquish back on the Xbox 360? I did. Yeah, I thought Vanquish was, you know, it reminded me of vanquish a bit but vanquish was just a bit more crazy and more fun on the mobility front than you know this was a bit more of a, a kind of focused version of that um so that, that, those are the kind of thoughts i was having whilst going through it now obviously i've not played the multiplayer so i don't, I don't, I don't know about that but well the multiplayer is kind of the heart of titanfall uh <laughs> the first titanfall game for example didn't have any single player so in many ways um i think the focus of respawn is on multiplayer but I still think that single player is brilliant as well. That's not coming off this list yet. No. Nope. Sorry. Sorry. Richard, did you want to nominate a cut? I've got your back on Titanfall 2. Let's keep Thank you. Well, this is this is this this is gonna be a scrap, and I, I think we might run a little bit over two hours on this podcast because of it, but I'll try and keep it as, as brief as possible. But Richard, do you have a nominee for a cut? Um I do, but I feel bad about it because it's the stuff I haven't played. Go on. Natural, isn't it? Mafia yep. 3, super hot. Oh, fucking. Mm-hmm. Um, Mafia 3 is not going to win, let's be clear. <laughs> yeah, I would I would yeah. let Mafia 3 go. I'd let Mafia 3 go. Um, I probably wouldn't let super hot go this early. I think it's just it's just more of an, an inventive experience, super hot, and, it, and it's far more creative what it's doing. Mafia 3 does what it does very, very well, but I can understand if you haven't played it, you wouldn't get that. So that's that's absolutely fair enough. And I'm not I don't want to die on that hill. I'm not gonna make my impassioned defense of of Mafia three, I don't think. So uh Adam, do you have a, a cut? Remember we're trying to get it down I to do, two. I do, I do. I'm gonna propose we cut quantum break. Um I know Richard enjoyed it, but I don't think you can say it's the game of the year. I, I, it's a mighty experience mean... um from what I've heard from other people and we've talked about it a lot, so it's had its moment in the sun. I would yeah. ship it off. Oh, Richard. It's not going to win. Top not, but think, but think, Remember, we're talking about a, a, an ordered top five. I would put it on my top five. Mm. Okay. Okay. I mean, you're not saying much, to be, to be honest, in the defense of it, though. Well, I've already said everything that can be said. Yes. So, yeah. I don't know. Does anyone else want to cut Quantum Break? I, I think it. I think it deserves I, to stay a little longer. Um, maybe, right, maybe like maybe I'll, I'll change my opinion slightly in the sense that I didn't actually bother considering any of the games I've not played, <laughs> which might have been a more sensible <laughs> thing to cut off initially. Actually, so yeah, yeah, I would I would uh, agree on Mafia Three. 
I'd agree on Super Hot. I would probably agree on Quantum Break, um, Overwatch, The Whitney. Well, we were trying to get it down to a ten, aren't we? Yeah, we don't have to do it all at once. I mean, I, I'm going around Robin here, so it's like um, right. So uh, I don't know if we. Why, why I, I think, think Super Hot is better than Quantum Break, Ben. No, I, I, hey, don't turn on me, bitch. I was defending. <laughs> I was defending the Quantum Break staying on the list longer. So don't don't switch it around like that. That's just that's not cricket, son. That is not how we play this game. By the way, I'm making this the game rules up as we go along, but that's my prerogative. So you know, just suck it. Um, so no, quantum quantum break. We keep okay. for a little bit longer. Keep for a little bit longer. I, I think you're right. It's probably on the way out, but um, um, I, I this is really hard though. I'm looking at this list, which I've kind of had a lot to do with curating this this 13, and I don't really want to see any of them go. Um, I, oh, <laughs> do you know what? There is one. And that's Overwatch. I w I'd cut Overwatch. Oh, you're, you're you're crazy. Like, I know this list's going to be subjective, and it's just our yep. you know, communal opinion. Yeah. But Overwatch has been one of the most dominating presences of the year. To say that you'd have Quantum Break over Overwatch for Game of the Year is, is crackers, crazy. frankly. That just seems okay, bad. Right, yeah. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. I'm not a dictator. I'm not going to exert the will like that just on top because I can, because I could, but I won't. It's fine. <laughs> um, so, all right, acknowledged. And you're probably right. It's just personally didn't do as much for me as a lot of these other games, but that's fine. Right then, we go back round to Joel and we're going to have to get harsher now. So, Joel, what's your what's your next pick for a cut? Um, I would, it's, uh, it's going to be somewhere between Super Hot and Quantum Break, but I think I'm going to go for Quantum Break. No. Um, I, mainly, I think, I think, mainly because I think, I've seen I've seen more um, of Super Hot, and I think out of the two, if I was to play one, Super Hot would probably be the one I played first. So that's the only reason. But they both have characters slowing down in that. But Super Hot. <laughs> yeah. Super Hot is just so much cooler than. Yeah. Do, to be fair, don't get worried, guys, because as soon as it comes around to me, Super Hot's off this list. Like, there's no way. Oh, it's not off this fucking list. <laughs> oh my god. Garbage. Oh. I'll tr I'm going to trade you. Uh, I'll trade you super hot for anything else. <laughs> you want. Just, no, it's, uh, uh, no, I'm not going to win. Okay, 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 okay. We're, we'll cut both. We'll cut both right now. That gets us down to ten. Um, I'm upset now, though. <coughs> so, uh, I would say, I would say, Adam hasn't lost anything, but he hasn't really got much on here. I've only got XCOM two. So, uh, we'll going to win. We'll cut that next. Um, yeah, go for it. <laughs> uh, no. um, right. So we already cut super hot. So Adam, do you have another suggestion that you'd like to see excised? Oh. Uh, I, I, this one does hurt me a little bit, but I will say, I think a year in which we would say Firewatch is one of the five best games of the year is a rough year. <laughs> no, fuck it. Are you in... No way. That's top it's, five. It's an interesting game. It's a nice game. But look at the competition it's here with. It's with, like, properly, beautifully formed AAA stuff. It's Uncharted 4, which is, like, a masterpiece of video game artistry. The Witness, which is probably as thought-provoking as Firewatch, but a much bigger and see, more extensive experience. Point. Yeah. I would like, pick Firewatch over The Witness. I would pick Firewatch no, over The Witness. No, I can't. I, I can't. Totally I really liked Firewatch. I thought it was a cool game. Fair play to the developers. They did a really good job. Top five of the year, though? Nah, I can't. I can't see it. Like, it's there are flaws. There are problems with Firewatch that come to mind almost straight away. I'm looking at it. If I'm, mm. how do you feel, Joel? About Firewatch? Well, 
The only the only thing I could really pipe in here and say is that I've only played Firewatch. I've not played The Witness, but The Witness is on my uh, list of games I really want to play. Um, so it's you know for for that perspective, I'd have to say you know I would favour Firewatch over The Witness, but only because I've played one and not the other. I'm I'm in the same boat. I am. However, I played Firewatch. I finished both. The Witness is better than Firewatch. Oh. This is I remember thought, this is top five. Come, I, I thought mean, like, Raid was better than Firewatch. So you know, if if Jonathan Blows managed to to replicate any of that in the Witness, then had I played both, I would probably be uh, you know easily like siding one way. Okay, how about this? Let's cut Battlefield One. I'm okay with that. Yeah, <laughs> but I've not played it. But it's you know, it is what it is. If we're talking uh, multiplayer experiences, I picked Titanfall Two over over Battlefield One. Not by a lot, but just. Joel, I feel Joel doesn't agree. <laughs> well, I've, I've not played the multiplayer on Titanfall 2. Uh, the multiplayer on Battlefield 1, I think its real success was, I think it's it's getting back more towards the Bad Company 2 um, style of Battlefield gameplay that I did enjoy, uh, more so than Battlefield 3 and 4. Uh, and I, I think going back to World War 1 was a great setting for the game uh, as well. And I think it's... Um, you know, it's it's kind of very different. Um, it's it's really good. Uh, yeah, I haven't tried the multiplayer on Titanfall two, so I would prefer it over Titanfall two. I think it's better, uh, but uh, obviously I've only played one versus the other. So. God, this you is hard. Both, you think Titanfall <laughs> yes. two is better? I do. Yes. Um, it just, I mean, I love the the sort of anarchic kind of craziness of the Battlefield games. I was playing them the other day with my brother and uh, having really good fun playing as the scout class, getting my eye in as the sniper types and stuff like that. And that was really satisfying and really good fun. And then you jump into a vehicle and like, yeah, those experiences, those crazy 32 on 32 maps and stuff like that. And it is awesome. But the movement and the moment-to-moment -moment gameplay in Titanfall 2 is just so kinetic. It is so engaging and immediate. Um, and, and you feel and like... Without, without being just punishingly twitchy as well. No, exactly. It? It's not, no. It's actually it's actually quite forgiving in many ways, especially the getting around parts, so like the mantling and the being able to get up walls and get onto roofs of buildings and the wall running and all of that. It, it, it just feels very polished, whereas Battlefield doesn't feel as polished in a way that... Um, it can't be because it's dealing with so many more variables. Therefore, things just sometimes it's it's like a beautiful chaos, a beautiful broken mess. Whereas Titanfall is just a, a ballet of perfect multiplayer experience. Yeah, that's that's it just feels like a dance almost Titanfall 2 at times mm -hmm. when you're just linking together. You know, you got three kills, you call down your Titan, you get in your Titan, you take out the other Titans, you jump out, you wall run, you stick it on guard mode, you come back to the Titan. You know, you just it just all links together. When you're playing well in Titanfall 2, you feel amazing. When you're playing well in Battlefield 1, you're sat hidden behind a rock, sniping people from 400 meters away. Do you know what I mean? It's like that's that's kind of the difference of the games you know you feel like an absolute badass in time for two where in battlefield you feel like you're you're surviving um so it just feels like there's lesser less accomplishment when you're doing well you get me you feel me bros yeah it feel, even though it is a team game titanfall feels it celebrates individual achievement more doesn't it mm. so battlefield one You've got to kill your babies, Joel. What can I say? Uh, yeah. Um, I, I think it's good. I don't, you know, I, 
I, I think I think for Battlefield on, One, on it, reason, but... I think it captured the essence of the First World War very well, and you you do say that in the sense of its mess and you know your lack of individual achievement really, which I think are great merits to what it's uh, you know the environment and the atmosphere of the time it was trying to capture, and yeah, maybe Titanfall Two from that sense is the better game. Well, let me put it this way: I reviewed Titanfall Two and Battlefield One within about a week of each other, and I gave them both five stars. Mm. Um, so it's like it, it is. It's, it's, it's as it's as different as two first-person shooters can be, um, and they're both excellent in their own ways. Uh, so it's very difficult to pick between the two. But I don't think we'd want both in the top five. So, yeah. Okay. Um, are you guys gonna? Uh, yeah. So we're. we're I kind of deflected the Firewatch cutting by moving us onto Battlefield One. Um, I, I think it's. I think I can't win that, can I? I think you've you've kind well, of said your piece. So yeah. And so that's that's on the bottom. So we're down to right now. We have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight games. So we have Doom, Inside, XCOM Two, Uncharted Four, Overwatch, The Witness, and Titanfall Two. So, Adam, X. Oh, did I? I did miss Forza Horizon. You're right. Sorry, Adam, XCOM Two. Yeah, it, this is like I am dreading having to justify this if someone wants to try and cut it because. It is kind of broken. Like there are bugs. There are serious <laughs> development bugs Brilliant. in this game. But yep. the reason it is my game of the year is that I played a full campaign of it, which takes a long time. Like that's a lot of gameplay. And then immediately started a new campaign and played another full campaign of it. And then about three months later, they released a bunch of DLC. And I played another two full campaigns of it. I've probably put 200 hours into XCOM 2 this year. And my biggest criticism of it after 200 hours is that at that point, it starts to get slightly samey and I'm a little bit bored of it. But if I had the time, if I had like a week free and I didn't have to do anything for that week, I'd start a new campaign on XCOM 2. It is just the best gameplay of the year. It's so rich and just gets in your brain and you think about it like continually. Oh, it's just beautiful. Everything about it is magnificent from a gameplay point of view huge technical problems cannot defend the development of it at all but oh, i just love it like it it's inspiring it gets under my skin i feel i don't know i'm susceptible to the theming of xcom 2 the way the game sort of addresses you and says you genuinely you sat at your computer right now are humanity's only hope like i react to that like a child i just adore it see um i i reviewed it on um on Xbox, and I agree with everything Adam's saying. It, <laughs> however, the problem I have is that it's very much more XCOM in the same mold as um, the oh. previous game. I don't um, think you can say that at all. I think it's dramatically different to the original XCOM. It's dramatically different because you like science fiction chess, uh, and that's that. It's your thing, and and you are deep, deep, deep in. You're deeper in than many 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 other players of this game would be so you're probably seeing nuances and, and improvements that um that i just didn't see because i probably just didn't play the previous game, or right. this game as much as you i was going to say before you interrupted me but that's fair for interrupting me i did lead you down that road um was that there are differences and there are improvements and they, they there are gameplay alterations in xcom 2 that do make it a, a more engaging experience than the previous game and i do i acknowledge that as well like you said that the technical problems and the the, the weird loading issues and it, it, yeah you can kind of forget it but do you know what i want to keep this game on this list because 
any any game where one of us can have such a rousing defense of it, I feel, <laughs> I feel it deserves to be left on the list at least for now. So um, I've got a, I've got a friend who's a massive XCOM fan, and um, so uh, he's in my board gaming group. And we we're playing this week, and we we're talking about it actually. And uh, he said that he likes uh, he does like XCOM too, and they were talking about it for a little bit. But he also said that he still goes back and plays plays the original. And I think when he's he's talking about the one from the '90s or the '80s, I don't know when it was actually launched. So I don't oh, know if that means original. anything. The Atari ST original. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, well, yeah, that is yeah. a very different game. I mean, basically, right. the original um, XCOM. It's the sort of game that's almost impossible to enjoy because it just wants to kill you. It's literally like you know how some people have this idea that the game is cheating against them, and they honestly think there's like some little gremlin inside the console <laughs> that's like fiddling numbers and trying to hurt you as much as possible. Like, I used to work with some people who definitely had that kind of image in their head. XCOM almost explicitly is doing that all the time. XCOM wants you dead every second. And the newer versions, they've sort of reined that in a bit whilst keeping that sense of, a, of battling against a sadistic foe. But the original ST game, man, it's like, oh, is, is that an 80-hour campaign you've been playing? I didn't know about this specialty on this alien. Total squad wipe start again. Like it just hates you. It hates you so much. I think that is the, that is one of the problems I do have with XCOM. It's not exactly a um, sit back and relax kind of gaming experience on the console. Um, one of the things I said about it is that there there aren't many games like this on console. Uh, no, no. Therefore, for me, it immediately gets a kind of a win because of that. Um, and but also, it's not a, you can't relax and play this game. You're you're gonna you're stressed the whole time. Well, if you play XCOM um, 2 on easy, surely you can. XCOM 2 on easy is very forgiving. Then why Much would more you forgiving than XCOM 1 on easy. Well, but so that's the point. As soon as you make the game forgiving, yes, it becomes kind of boring because mm. you're just shuffling your dudes around and they're going to kill everyone. And oh dear, one of them got shot a bit and he's out for three days. Never mind. That's not what you play XCOM for. You play XCOM to literally weep tears of frustration as your best dude is murdered in a way you don't feel you could have prevented. That's why you play it. XCOM 2 stays on the list for now. Right. So, God, this is getting harder and harder, isn't it, guys? Forza Horizon 3. This is arguably the best racing game ever made. Mm-hmm. Does anybody want to counter that that supposition? I, I think this could be the best game, racing game ever made. Like, on, honestly, the balance of incredible um, sort of technical achievement with the car modeling and the physics and just the feeling of tire on road, that's fantastic. Forza at its best. The open world is one of the most engaging and gorgeous open worlds I have ever seen. Like, you know, honestly, stunning and inviting, like we talked about earlier when we talked about the visuals. Absolutely amazing. The different feels of the different uh, tarmac to dirt, to sand, to snow, to rain, to wet, to slightly wet, to puddly. You know, all of that conveyed through um, the great use of the, um, the rumbles in the triggers on the Xbox One. Absolutely amazing tactile feeling of driving. Like, I would make this my maybe my all-time favorite driving game. Richard, what do you think? I wouldn't disagree. I mean, the standout thing about Forza Horizon 3 is that outside of the races, it's still fun. Everything in Forza Horizon 3 is fun. Yeah. It doesn't matter where you are or what you're doing, what car you're in. Um, there's just something to do on the way to something else. That There'll be like a mini race with a car that's going by, uh, a driver tar with your mate's name on it for a quick 1.5k race um, just because it's on the way to where you where you're going. It's all fun. It looks amazing. 
there's so much there to do as well. Aside from the DLC, it lasts you forever, like most Forza games do. And doesn't get old at any point. I, I keep going through spates of playing it daily for mm-hmm. like a couple of weeks. And then I might drop off for a week or a fortnight. And then I'll be back to playing it every single day. Yep. And you've already you've already sunk you've sunk tens of tens of hours in already, haven't you? Like you know, you're really high level. You're high level than me at this point. Um, Hundred odd something. But, um, yeah, I've put a lot of time into it and lots of time into the DLC as well. Um, and I'll keep going back. Just... Okay, I, I I'm really I'm really struggling now. Does somebody want to ne- nominate a cut? Should we all just Any, nominate anyone? Doom and make Ben cry? I will I will I'll quit and you'll never see me again. <laughs> Um, ah, oh, we could talk about inside. No, that is really good. But it's, oh, it's weird though because I, my, oh. I, I do keep keep looking at that, and I do keep thinking to myself, any other year that that would be a lock. But there is there are so many good games. It's that thing kind of like so. It's an awesome experience, and you're really glad you've had it. But is anyone going to go back and play inside again? Like, no. no, it's not that sort of experience. Is it wrong to penalize it for not being that sort of experience? Maybe, no. but no, no. you know, we're talking about Richard's back to Forza Horizon three on a regular basis. It's still a game that's you know attracting his attention. I'm obsessed with XCOM. I could see people getting completely obsessive about Titanfall two, or I'm sure there's people in the world who are doing like five or six hours a day on Overwatch and have been since it was released. Inside's just not that sort of thing. So it becomes very difficult to judge it against the others. It doesn't want your time in the same way and it doesn't represent the same sort of value proposition. But my it's like God, reading it, a good book. Yeah, but it was it was an amazing four hours of my life. Yeah, yeah, will, no, it's absolutely so I will never forget. Um though though saying that I'll never forget it, the sort of the, the <laughs> it is it is fading. Um it's not like it's in an indelible gaming experience for me because like you said you don't go back with a desire to renew that um anybody else on inside it's got no replayability has it no it no. hasn't got replayability <clears throat> i don't agree that well maybe it is for you but not i don't think the memory of inside for me is faded at all it was just foggy when i experienced it for the first time which was always- <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's fair so, um, all right, okay, that that's. I don't think that need it doesn't need to come off the list because it's short. I think no, I put it at the top of my top five. You did, yeah. And I, I think in terms of personal impact, it touched me more than anything else that it did this year. That's fair enough. Um, do you want to do you want to make a defence for it then? You think it needs to stay in there? Yeah. yeah, I mean, if if we, I think we're probably at a stage now where we want to start comparing games side by side for what's left on the list and if i was going to yeah. compare it to doom while doom was good and it was a surprise this year hmm. it's on the no list i'm sorry no, it was no. A surprise. no no <laughs> doom, is not, doom is not on the list because it was a surprise doom is on the list because it's genuinely the best single player uh first person campaign in the last 20 years Doom is better than Deus Ex. Doom is better than um, Titanfall single player. Doom is better than... You'd give me any other first-person game shooter, and I will tell you why Doom is better. Half-Life 2. Yes, Doom is a better campaign than Half-Life 2. Yes. Get out. No, No, it is. (laughs) Half-Life 2's campaign is poorly paced. 
It is full of slow, dragging sections with very little that happens. In Doom, you are like always inside. doing something amazing. Yeah, like inside in a way, yeah. Doom, you are always doing something amazing. You are always moving forward. You, it has a sense of kinetic imperative that you just are constantly striking at, at enemies that are increasing in difficulty and you are feeling as a power fantasy. And why do we play video games like that? We play them as power fantasies, right? And as a power fantasy, Doom is at the pinnacle of the genre. There is literally okay. not a better first-person shooter this year. I would cut Titanfall 2 before I cut Doom. Yes. Well, that's, that, that's what I was going to say, really, is that if, if what you're saying is Doom is on the list because it's the best power fantasy of the year, then yeah. we could cut all the other power fantasies, right? Yeah. So bye-bye Overwatch, bye-bye Titanfall 2, yeah? I would agree with Timefall 2, but I think you could argue for Overwatch for a different reason, because it's a multiplayer experience. So Overwatch is possibly the best multiplayer game, many would argue, though not myself, that's come out this year. Doom, however, is the best single-player yeah. campaign this year. Do, I mean, I don't know if you guys read my top 10, but I actually, at the end of my top 10, I, I acknowledge the, the fact that I reviewed Doom wrong. Um, that I should have given Doom... 10 out of 10 when we were doing the 10 point scale and I actually give it five stars at the end of my top 10 though I won't change the review itself but I acknowledge that I have gone back to Doom since playing that doing that review and I've reevaluated that single player uh, after playing it through now multiple times um, on the, the arcade mode that they've patched and things like that it is so well made those levels are so well designed uh, and the, envi the environments the guns everything about the power-ups everything about the story surprisingly awesome story in Doom which I didn't try and get through on the, the story Ooh. section because I never thought you guys would even come near me. But but it's got fun characters. You're, you're playing a guy, right, the Doom Slayer. The, the way that game is structured at the beginning, it's like, we aren't going to give you any stupid conceits. Here's a message on the screen that says, demonic invasion in progress. You know what you're here to fucking do. You're here to wreck some fucking demons. But, but so see, I was going to say, sure. but then they, then they tried to put a story in it. Yeah. Yeah, but the story is so self-aware. It's amazing. But that's kind of the point. They take the piss out of their own story. Like, In a way, they, they, acknowledge, they acknowledge how camp it is, yeah, and they definitely run with it. I wouldn't say they... In a, it's strange because it's actually quite deadpan, but then you get into the codex entries, and it's like this this brilliantly written... Once you start getting through the different security level clearance ones, it's like, you know, it goes from, like, corporate talk to... You know the the cultist kind of crazy sacrifice. There's so much in that world that they've just. If you want to really dig in, which I fucking did, you can find so much stuff in there. Doom, yeah, nothing... we cut Titanfall two and we keep doing. No way, Doom. Yes, Doom way. Don't, story way, story wise, Doom doesn't do anything that Dead Space hasn't done ten times better. It did remind me of Dead Space when I watched the playthrough. I've watched the full playthrough of Doom because you were raving about it so much. It did remind me of Dead Space a lot. It's basically the same story and I setting. The, the, problem, the problem, Adam, is you're, watching is not. I know. I totally accept that. I totally accept that. It I mean, looks like the gameplay is absolutely killer. Like I can totally accept it that. It is amazing. It's an amazing gameplay. But if you're going to bring up story, like. Mm. Yeah, store, I think you're onto a loser if you want to cite it for its story over Titanfall Two. Come on. I mean, uh, for what? Is for really what in story? Game. Yeah. Uh, Titanfall 2 doesn't really have. Titanfall 2 doesn't have a cohesive story. Titanfall 2 does not have a cohesive story at all. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's sort of a collection of vignettes that have come up that they kind of came up with at the developer side and they bolted them together in Titanfall 2 because they were oh we can do a time travel level we can do this kind of platforming level we can do the big all out war level let's try and think of some kind of bullshit reason to do that whereas whereas doom has got like you've got this just simple 
well conveyed, funny, engaging, over yeah. the top. You're the fucking doomsday. You, they give they, they give you a reason to be the doomery, which is that you have been around for millennia fighting demons. You you're you are presented at the beginning of that game, coming out of a sarcophagus, being worshipped because you're so fucking awesome. It just I'm gonna, we, I'm gonna call we you on something now, Ben, because you you've just gone from complaining about Titanfall's disparate locations. <laughs> and failed to go into Doom's locations, which are on a base on Mars or in hell, or on a base on Mars or in hell. Yeah, what's wrong with that? Well, it all makes sense. You, you start on the base, you go to hell, you come back, the base has been fucked up, you go back to hell. I mean, it's like, you know, it, it works I mean, as it progresses through so, the game. Uh, like on Doom's story, right? It's, I normally I play a game and I watch a story on Doom. I just skipped every cutscene. It was you just in out. the way. It was out. in the. I wasn't missing out on anything. You're missing out. Didn't need anything. The it opening was, scene of Doom. The opening scene of Doom is he literally there to say to the player, "It's okay to skip all of this story. Yeah, it doesn't yeah, yeah, fucking yeah. matter." <laughs> That's the whole point. He goes, "Oh, story. Monitor off wall. Hurled." Gone. <laughs> but that's kind of there's this, there's this there's this gag throughout where there's this the, the kind of the big sort of corporate bad guys like oh you need to go and recover this thing and take it to there and you and the doomsday just goes up to it and just smashes it apart because he doesn't give no fuck exactly. and i love that and i watched that opening sequence where you know to get you to the sort of title um, bar it's beautiful it's fantastically done but it is there to take the piss out of the story and to say you don't need to care about this. That's why, that it's, why it's there. Oh, come That's on. Why it's so good. So the story's really good because it's completely disposable. Because it's a first-person <laughs> shooter that knows what it is. It's a first-person shooter that knows exactly. what it is. It's a power fantasy that it's there because you just want to shoot demons in the face and smash their heads in and stamp on them and mm -hmm. jump on them mm -hmm. and kick them and just rent, rip and fucking tear, man. That's that's my new model. I've got that tattooed across my back. <laughs> like, does yeah. does Sarah Sam have a good story? <laughs> <Does he really? laughs> no, but like, what you want? <laughs> is, is the story in Doom not the same? No, <laughs> shush. Don't do that to me. I'm not prepared to defend the serious the serious Sam angle. But no, I'm you. You are not letting. If you trying to not let me have three minutes, I'm not trying to cut down. I'm just. You. I, I just I can't let you defend it on grounds of having a good story. Oh, yeah, I'll delete the website. Um, <laughs> but yeah, fine. All right, maybe I can't defend it on the grounds of best story, but best gameplay, perhaps. Um, so, what there about you go. the multiplayer angle? You haven't mentioned that at all. No. Yeah, there's a reason because you, that's like it might as well not be there. So. So we're comparing Doom to Titanfall, which has an excellent single player. And an excellent multiplayer. Oh well, Overwatch doesn't have Overwatch doesn't have single player. Does that mean we cut Overwatch then? I well, I'm I'm now at the stage where I think I'm happy to cut Overwatch. Richard? But I'm just you know. Titanfall two staying on. Cut Overwatch. Joel. Yeah, I, I agree. The only thing I can say about Overwatch is that just for a game that I've never played or particularly read any media yeah. about, I it, I see it everywhere, so it is massively popular. It's just not a game that appeals to me. I rated it five out of five. It's really good. But if we're we're down to the wire now, on we're on, we've got six. I mean, also, shooters, we can't keep we can't keep three or four online shooters in the top five. Can we? The final nail in the coffin for Overwatch is we did have a best multiplayer category, and Overwatch didn't win it, if I remember. And it is a multiplayer only shooter. So if it didn't win its own category, like it did can't. It, did it? I can't actually remember what one best multiplayer. I thought Titanfall 2 did. I thought we gave it to Titanfall 2. 
Might be wrong, but I thought we did. I'd have to check back the recording. <laughs> um, I might be remembering wrong. I don't think I kept the document, but oh well. Um, right, look, so we've got seven games here now. Doom, Inside, XCOM 2, Forza Horizon, uh, Uncharted, The Witness, and Titanfall 2. Mm-hmm. Does anybody want to posit an opinion? So I've got... This is like one of those opinions where I've thought of it and it's a good argument, but I don't like what it what it ends up in. But <laughs> by the same logic I just used to try and get you to cut Overwatch, Inside is a game that mostly exists as a narrative experience and it didn't win Best Narrative. We gave that to Uncharted 4. And Uncharted 4 is also you know, a state-of-the-art product. So maybe Uncharted 4 just bumps Inside off the list. Um, I, I think as a game, if you're saying Inside is not really a game, it's just a narrative experience and there's not no, enough I'm not game saying that. there. Is there not? Well, I mean, are we saying that? I should say, I'm not trying to put that on you. Are we saying that, that Inside doesn't have enough game to win or be in the top five as the best game? Mm-hmm. Because there is, there is some... There are, there are, you, you will attest to this, Ben. There's a whole bunch of bits in Uncharted 4 that are just plain boring. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they're the gamey bits, right? We like the graphics, we like the characters, we like the story. But when you're yeah. in a shootout for 20 minutes, that doesn't I... touch the pure gameplay of in- inside. That is. No, that's fair. I tell you what, when I when I got in that jeep for the second or third time, and I'm like, oh really? Just skip me to the next bit. Skip yeah. me to the bit where I'm talking to someone because I. Oh, and then I was like, oh thank God, when I'm driving, I am talking to someone, so that wasn't the worst. But it was like, oh, I've got to climb up the side of this thing again, or I've got to climb up another building that's collapsing, or up another Ooh. rock face. And it's just yeah. that that is not what is great about those games. It is a strange close. thing that the Uncharted games are really brilliant, but the worst bit in them is the game part. Like it's yeah. often quite weak, actually. Well, well, what I said in my, my when I put it in my number 10 spot on my list was I said it's almost here by default <laughs> were the words I used because it's it's you, you kind of expect it to be an amazing experience and it is, but the game bits let the game down uh, and, and therefore it kind of snuck onto my top 10. It, it very nearly didn't make my top 10, but yeah, I, I, think, I think Uncharted 4 maybe isn't in the top five. Fair. Yeah, I don't think it's the gameplay. The gameplay isn't bad. It's, no, it's it, just it succeeds despite the gameplay, not because of it. Yes, yeah, that's that's fair. Yeah, what do you think, Joel? Uh, well, I haven't played Uncharted Four. I've I've not played any of the Uncharted's, but I, I from what I understand of the Uncharted games, it's an excessively strong story. Um, and then yeah, there's some sort of game, simple gameplay that kind of weaves it together. But it's never been enough to to kind of tr- attract me to play it, despite owning you know PlayStation mm-hmm. 3 and a PS4 and everything as well. So for me, Inside, it was you no, know, it's quite short, but it's very thought provoking for a very short experience. And I think um, you know, and as an indie game as well. Um, you know, yeah. uh, if, when you think about the the small amount of people who have probably made it and what they pulled off, it's very, very polished. Every, I mean, you you said it last week. It's sort of if you just pause, if you took a screenshot of that game at any yeah, point, yeah. it's like a work of art. It looks amazing, and it is consistent from the start right to the end. So, you know, I think there, 
the sad thing is, the biggest weakness is it's got no replayability, but it still replays in my mind from like, yeah. the story and stuff. And you know, and I, I've obviously quite fresh to it, but you've all played it quite, a, you know, quite a while ago, and you're still all talking about it. And uh, yeah, mm. I think Inside is going to edge out Uncharted Four for me. All right, ready for this one, Richard? Inside or The Witness? <laughs> Um, the witness commits the cardinal sin of video games at the end of the game. Can I spoil it? Yeah. After 400 or 500 puzzles, <laughs> which I worked through meticulously, I only cheated on one, which I'm proud of, um, but I worked through all of the others myself at a really tight deadline because I had to review this game, but I couldn't stop playing it. I had to finish the whole thing. Um, it's amazing right until the end and then it undoes all of your progress and you have to start again when you finish. So, fuck that game inside. <laughs> you see, the, reason, the, reason, the reason I went to you on that one, Richard, is because I haven't played The Witness and I know Joel hasn't played The Witness, so it's, but we've both obviously heard really great things about it. It's uh, really incredible. It's such a clever game. Just, just the individual design of the puzzles. There's different puzzle sets uh, that build logically until you can complete puzzles that just look unintelligible to um, first yeah. sight. Um, but if you've encountered the learning in the correct order and you combine that learning across the island, it just makes you feel like a genius. It really does. And not just within the puzzle design, but how it's distributed across the island. So geographically, things slot together and make sense. Um, you're sort of playing the puzzle on two different levels, just um, within your own mind and across the geography of the island. Um, it's a real special achievement, but for such a uh, kick in the teeth at the ending. Uh, Adam, have you, Adam, have you played both Inside and The Witness? I've not played The Witness, but again, I'm, I'm a, this is possibly a cop-out, but because I knew I was never really going to get time to play it properly, I have seen it played start to finish, including a lot of the kind of deeper secrets that come at the end. And it does. there's an amazing little thematic kind of idea in The Witness that I've never seen any other game do to do with spatial relationships and to do with your position in the world and what this means the world has done around you. Um, it's like it's signposted quite early on. There's like a statue on a um, island, and as you sail a boat past it, if you look at the statue, you realise there's just this one magical moment where it suddenly starts appears to be holding hands with another statue in the distance, and suddenly like foreground and, and um, background mirror up and create this new kind of image that you'd not considered before, and that then becomes an element of the puzzles and that's like it's one of those moments where i was just like jonathan blow jonathan blow is legitimately an actual genius like i've never seen anyone do that before it's magical it made the hairs on the, my, the back of my neck stand up unfortunately that idea then gets turned into puzzles where you have to watch a 20 minute video because there's a moment in the 19th minute where that creates a juxtaposition that you have to use to solve a puzzle and that sort of thing starts to get to the point where i'm like you're sort of just taking the piss out of your players now. Like, <laughs> I don't know. That's very hostile to the player, in my opinion. So it's hard right. to stick up for it that much. So I was going to say to you, Adam, then, the witness or XCOM 2? 
just for that idea, I kind of want to stick up for the witness because it just—I mean, I just loved it. Like, it really was kind of a moment of just like wide-eyed wonder. And on, inside was really cool. And I like the little twist. I like being the blob. It makes you think. I sort of came to the conclusion where like maybe the blob is sort of the player and the blob's controlling everything because you're controlling everything. And anyway, but like. Man, Jonathan Blow. I'm just such a Jonathan Blow fanboy. That's just clever. Like, it's too clever for modern video games, really. So I'm going to say The Witness. So I've just, I've, just, I've just put XCOM 2 cut. Yeah, cut XCOM 2. I can't defend it. It's broken. Like, you press the shift key and it loads faster. Like, I can't defend that as a game okay. of the year. <laughs> like, right, we're, we're, well, we've done perhaps the hardest bit then because we're down to five games. Our five games of the year. Now we need to stick them in an order. I know what my number one is, but I suspect it's nobody else's. Um, does anybody want to? Does anybody want to? Anybody want to think? Sort of give me a shout of a number five. Doom. No. <laughs> legit, dude. No. I'm not even trolling you. And I, I know you're not, and I'm. I know I'm legitimately saying no. Everyone else mm. say doom. No. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm not sure if it's going to be. I haven't played Forza, Forza Horizon, Horizon 3, three, number five. So. Forza's better. Forza Horizon 3 is not better than Doom. There are no cars in Doom. <laughs> there are no demons I can stamp on in Forza Horizon 3. They're in the cars, mate. They're in the cars. <laughs> <laughs> I want that patched in now. I'm going to be driving along in Forza and look over and see a demon in the wheel than the one next to me. It'll be amazing. Uh, no, but I think, I think Forza Horizon 3, at the end of the day, it is just a racing game. Um, what do you mean, just a racing game? Well, I mean, just, just a racing game, game inverted okay. commas. But, like, surely... Just shooting. Yeah, Doom is just an FPS. Like. <laughs> I know you can use it against me. I knew that was coming. But, no, Jen, I, I, I'd put Forza Horizon 3 at 5 because it does everything perfectly. And, like I said, it's possibly the best racing game ever. But it isn't Probably the best. It isn't vanilla on the list. It's like yeah, it's doing the least it things. Is, it does it a bit better than last time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that's that that's number sense. that's number five. So number four. Doom. Doom. No. I I, I <laughs> myself three? would put I would put Titanfall two below Doom uh, on the single right. player. I I would. Yeah, so yeah. Right. just multiplayer. I thought I thought Doom single player was better than Titanfall two. Yeah, have you finished it, Rich? Doom, no, the single player. no, no. But, but you I don't know how good it finishes. What does that tell you? <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 by the way, no story. You don't need to know how the game yeah. finishes. You just kill something at the end. We all can know I, that. Can I just say though, I, I love how passionate. This is what I hoped it would be at the end. This is great. I'm really glad everybody's looking heads and hands. This is meant to be hard. So I'm glad everybody's finding this very difficult. Um, I'd probably put number the four would be number the witness for me because I haven't played it, and you guys basically tell me how great it is, but then tell me the ending is shit. It's or not something the happens at the end is shit, and it's just like, well, that makes me, what Richard said makes me reevaluate mm. it a little bit, and it doesn't exactly it really, make me really want to play the it. Game. It really hurts the game yeah. because you don't finish the game having done everything. There's still things left to do. Yeah. And if when it rolls back all of your progress, you don't have the opportunity to go back to that world and finish it off. And I was really enjoying it up until the time it took that away from me. So 
but it's it's like it's a structural problem isn't it it's like it's like when you finish a game and you imagine there's going to be like a kind of oh you finished the main quest line now go and do all the side quests and actually it just rolls the credits and there's no well, it replaces your save though. with new game plus yeah there is no reason no i agree i definitely agree a witness is number four how would we feel can we agree with that so number three no, i will doom, now sorry what's that it's still better than doom <laughs> i don't think it is i'm an absolute sucker for like a good horde shooter you know i played all the serious sams played all the dooms love them to bits it does feel weird to put the witness below doom to me like doom is doing what it does beautifully the witness is trying to push the frontiers of like video game theory like it's a beautiful yeah. object but the doom doom is is perfecting its genre it's not perfecting it the, the multiplayer is dog shit. yeah i don't give a sh we're not talking about the multiplayer that's not even i'm not even acknowledging that as part of the package i haven't well do you know i could i could say i could say snap my, no but, you, but that's not how game of the yes that's not how i'm looking at this it's dog shit. I, I really don't think it does. The multiplayer isn't even developed by it. It's just been bolted on because it was expected. It's not okay. even the re it's not the reason you buy Doom. You you buy Doom to single player. No, I, I think it's a good place they to put it in number three. To make it themselves. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, the multiplayer and the witness is amazing. <laughs> you want to compare like for like, yeah. I mean, like you know, that's that's the tricky part of this. But you know, you you. Hmm. <coughs> um, I, I, I will concede Doom in third. I will, I will, I will let that go. But I mean, what we're at now is what you should be asking yourselves: is what do you want at number one? Because we've got, we've got. Even if we counted the witness, we've got the witness, Doom, Inside, and Titanfall Two. What do you want at number one from those four games? I don't really want Inside or Titanfall Two at number one i don't think either of them are the best game of the year i, I don't think either of them you i think Two is a candidate for four right i know you're saying at the witness but I, I haven't played the witness but i want the witness to be amazing and the feedback i hear about it is everyone thinks it's really good obviously there's maybe some controversy around the ending but the the journey that takes you there sounds like something i want to actually do whereas titanfall 2 was just you know, it's it's good game, but it is just a another, you know, first-person shooter essentially. It's got a Titan added in and a little bit yeah, of extra yeah. movement. It set the world on fire. I think Titanfall Two is a candidate for fourth place. Really, I'm tempted to concede that because then we can use the phrase "a another first-person shooter" to put Doom at number three. <laughs> so then you're arguing. Then you're arguing between the Witness and Inside <laughs> for game of the year. I, I'm okay with this. I'm an artsy twat. <laughs> <laughs> Richard, how do you feel about what has been proposed? Um, cards on the table. I want inside to win. So, so we're saying Titanfall two at number four. Doom, Doom at, yeah. Doom at three. Who cares about Doom that much? Is it just you? Me. Yeah. Doom is amazing. No, I think the way I, the way I see it, Adam Adam, Adam doesn't have many many sort of car like you know back or forth for a doom joel joel you seem to quite like doom more than titanfall no i do and, I... and richard you you don't like Doom. No, that's I do fair like it. no i do like it i think it's really good but... fair. We, we are arguing if it's the third best game released this year like that's pretty high 
Yeah. I'm I'm happy with Doom at three. We're all right. impressed. Uh, let me let me see if I could for me, right? Doom is for me probably the best of the the triple A going to make as much money titles, you know, from the big publishers that's mm. probably come out this year. That I you know, I agree with kind of Adam and you know, for me it's the indie gamers who really do generate the the new ideas, the originality and the, the kind of innovation and art styles. And so, you know, uh, head why that's pushing inside quite high for me. Um, and yeah, the witness, I, I, I want to be great. So I'm kind of hoping that if we guys get up there as well, um, you know, I was probably going to end up buying that and go to play it next week. But yeah, doom solid third, I think. Yeah. I mean, we're essentially now in the point of the argument where it becomes like, you know, the artsy, clever film versus the amazing explosions and war film, you know? Like, yeah. it's just, this is AAA versus indie all over. I, I agree with what Joel just said. I think the truly interesting, innovative games come from a more kind of, you know, personal development process that comes through the indie titles. Doom is doing the thing it does beautifully well. It's kind of safe. Like, I'll give them credit. They've made some brave decisions. No, no iron sights, no reload button. They were right, good on them. They get to be the third best game of the year, but for me, The Witness and Inside were the two games that really like inspired me this year. Mm -hmm. Well, let me put it this way. On my top 10 list, if Doom hadn't come out, Inside would have been number one. Inside is two on my top 10 list. So I haven't played The Witness, and I fucking wish I had, considering how vehemently it's now being discussed here. Um, I feel like that was a, a big error on my part, um, and I really should have done out, that. Because if now you know, don't finish until you're yeah. ready to finish, and then it's a yeah. stellar game. It's incredible. So I think, weirdly, I think we we've actually already come to the answer here. Um, I don't think there's any doubt that Inside is number one. Witness at number two, and Inside yeah. is game of the year. That's that's what it sounds like. Wrong? Yeah, it doesn't really, does it? It doesn't overstay its welcome. It delivers amazing ideas and concepts. It executes them brilliantly. We haven't actually talked about how brilliant the puzzles are, the environmental puzzle structures, um, how how nothing is too hard that you feel like you're banging your head against the wall, but yeah. still when you accomplish them and when you actually pass them, you do feel like you've done something smart and you do have that sense of, yeah, I've achieved that. And you can then yeah. move on to the next section. Every room, every section is different and unique. The world is completely cohesive and beautiful to look at. The audio design is fantastic. The storytelling is fantastic, considering there's no fucking you know language or writing yeah. or any any voice acting in that game. It's uh, it's absolutely impeccable. So shall I recap from the from number five? Yeah. So the BXB top five games of 2016 in reverse order are in number five, Forza Horizon three. In number four, Titanfall 2. In number three, Doom. In number two, The Witness. And in number one, the 2016 Game of the Year for BXB Games is Inside. Are we all happy? I'm on board with that. Yeah. That's a yeah. fair representation of us on the site and what we think, I believe. <laughs> so I think that 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 I'm happy with, with all of that as well. So that's that's grand. All right, then. Well, we ran only half an hour over, so that's not too bad. <laughs> I thought it could have gone worse, could have gone longer, and that's because we had to talk about some news at the top of the show. Um, otherwise, I think we would have been pretty much on time. But thank you all for partaking in and listening to and watching 
our game of the year deliberations for 2016. We'll obviously be back in a year and we'll be back in nearly two weeks with your regularly scheduled BXB Bits and Bobs episodes. Um, that's been a mammoth fun podcast. I really enjoyed all that, guys. That was really, yeah. really good. That was exactly what I hoped that discussion would be. Um, <laughs> so I'm really overjoyed that, that that went as well as it did. Uh, thank you, Joel, for being our special guest for these two episodes and really adding a different voice to it and, and a different perspective. I really appreciate that, mate. You've been great. Um, yeah, you can, you can find us. Yeah, very welcome to join us again in the future as well. Um, yes, yeah, so you can find us on Twitter at BXB Games. You can find me at DIYE. You can find Richard at Colonel Red. You can find Adam at Adam Breeden Dev. Joel, I believe, is still not on the tweets, but that's <laughs> no. fine. We'll allow that for now. Uh, find us at BXB Games at Facebook. Obviously, we're bxbgames.co.uk, the website. Please subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us a review. It can even be a bad review, though. God knows why it would be. But any reviews help. And by the way, you guys, staff, you should review us as well because uh, that would be helpful, guys. You know, get some visibility up. <laughs> I'm not above stealing my own shit. That's the way it works on the internet day and age. That's how it is. So we'll be back in a couple of weeks for more back to normal kind of podcasts. Talking about the video games we're currently playing. And we'll see you all then. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.